This is Operation Red Pill. The only podcast hosted by Truthfully Armed, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories to the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host Christopher Dean. Let's smash them. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Snakeheads, Architects of the New Occult Order, Part 1. Are the governments and societies of the world truly just plotting their way along through history? Or are they following an ancient architectural plan laid down by a select few occultists from the not-so-distant past? We're going to talk about that and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill Snakeheads. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our brand new show segment, Snakeheads, where we aim to expose the key players in the synagogue of Satan, including both their matrix of control and the deceptive agendas being used to establish the new world order. But before we get into all of that, Christopher D. What is up? Yo, it's feeling so good to be back here in the studio, man. How you feeling? Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's like being home again. Oh, dude, it feels great to be back behind the mic. I noticed that we got a lot on the docket to talk about today. Oh, we do. We do. But first things first, current events. Have you seen what's going on or the the uh, talk around the water cooler about Brad Pitt? Mr. Pitt, what's he doing? Pity? Yeah, what's, what's being pit up to? Well, apparently for his, he's got his new movie coming out, Bullet Train, right? Does look a little appealing on the big screen, I must say. Yeah, I was like, hmm, maybe I can go see that. I might take a viewing in. Right, so at his uh, red carpet, was it debut or? The premiere? The premiere, yeah. Okay. He shows up in a dress. Shut up. Yep, wearing a dress. Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt. No way. Yeah. So I was like, wow, he must have really lost his mind, right? Because somebody even asked Wait, him. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're, we're not talking a Celt. No. We're talking a sure enough, thigh-hugging, hip-banded dress? Well, it's it's not it's not super tight. It is kind of loose. you say a I mean, dress, we're not even talking a skirt. I, I believe it's a dress. He's got like a dress, and if I remember correctly, he's got like the... Not that a skirt makes it any better. Right. No, I'm pretty sure it's a dress. And then he's got the overcoat, like waist length overcoat on top of it and like black combat boots. Ew. Yeah. An interesting look. So I was like, okay, he must have lost his mind. I guess people asked him about it. Okay. And he was like, oh, we're all going to die. Might as well have fun. I was like, interesting, interesting. That's both morbid and confusing. It gets way worse. Shut up. So uh, I heard this on a couple different podcasts. And like I like to do, I got to go verify. Okay. And uh, apparently my DuckDuckGo page was set on images. Okay. So I just typed in. I wasn't thinking. I opened it up because I was looking for like occult images and iconography and things like that. So I just uh, popped it up, typed in Brad Pitt in a dress, hit enter, and I was flabbergasted. Are you kidding me? This was not the first time. Like like my my inner curiosity is begging, (laughs) begging me to go verify this, but I'm scared because I don't want this on my Google search history. Yeah, it's uh, it's unsettling because not only was this not the first time, this is not the most effeminate dress he's worn. You know, dude, I think we probably need to to post this on our Instagram page. Well, a bunch of pictures of Brad Pitt in a dress? 
Yeah, I mean, so people can actually see what we're talking about. Okay, I can do that. I'll, yeah. yeah, let's I'll let's, let's put them. that up there. Yeah, some of them are like uh, super skin tight. Um, really? Yeah, there's one that he's got. Like he actually did a photo shoot. Not that he just showed up someplace, but he did a photo shoot because there's you know seven different angles and poses, and one he's got a sucker in his mouth. I was like, I can't believe this is Brad Pitt, and from all different ages. So I was like, okay, that's that's strange. Click back over to like all search. Um, not search history, but like, uh, what are they called when they pop up? Um, you got me. articles or whatever. Cause you know, in DuckDuckGo, it can be images, articles see, or whatever. I've never searched in DuckDuckGo. Well, it'd just be like Google. Okay. So there's like, you know, you can click images and it just pulls up pictures of what you're looking right, for. Right. Then you go back to all. Is it? Yeah. All. Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. So go back to all. And some of the articles are like Brad Pitt again. So Where he's been doing this for a while. Yeah. I was like, which is starting to it's starting to sound like he's involved in Luciferian programming, right? He didn't just, you know, blow a fuse or whatever. No, because I've seen other pictures where Brad is, has posed in ways that would indicate to the initiated that he's part of the initiated group, right? And I remember you told me uh, one time that one of one of the initiations or whatever for black actors is that they have to wear a dress. Yeah. And when I saw Brad Pitt in all these dresses, I was like, huh, maybe, maybe it's just not the melanin rich ones. Maybe, maybe there's something going on here. Yeah, it might be here or um, it might be a different ritual. I'm not sure. Right. But definitely something. So then, so once I looked at all that verified what the podcasts were saying, I was like, now I really got to know where does this come from? Just the, the dress wear? Not just the dress wear, but, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about the satanic control matrix, but where do these specific ideas, like androgyny and, you know, cross-dressing and just, just all of this. like Rise of feminism. Yeah, all sexual this. Sexual perversity. Yeah. Okay, like it's, I it's, got you. It's not just one dude wearing a dress because nobody would care, but, like, he's a, he's a high elite celebrity in this event, making a statement. So you got to ask yourself, where do the ideas come from? Where does this stem from? Who are the architects of the new occult order? Who, who are the snakeheads? You know, Christopher, you asked a question that I think is absolutely critical. And if we're going to do it any justice, if we're going to talk about the snakeheads, then I think we got to talk about the creme de la creme. We got to talk about the madam, the madam de loiselle, the way the, that you don't talk about much unless it's in hushed voices with tea and crumpets. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Madam Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, the mother of modern occultism. She is the principal snakehead in the modern world. All right, man, let's get into it. We got to talk about her. All right, so Madame Blavatsky, you know, I've been hung up on her name a little bit. Do you know what her middle name means, Petrovna? Uh, let me see if I can remember. I think you were telling me that the way that they maintain the father's name in these lineages is to put it in the middle, right? Yeah. So that's her father's name? Yeah, her father's name would be Peter. Okay. And so she carries that uh, in her in her middle name. 
So instead of like Richardson, which is the son of Richard, yeah, they put it in the middle. Yep, they make their middle name the surname. Well, not the surname, but the the name of the father. Okay, interesting. Yep, I like that. Kind of picked that up from our uh, Eastern European contact. <laughs> All right, things you learn. Right, from right. People you know. <laughs> So it, it helped me figure out her name because for whatever reason, you know that I get her name confused all the time with um, Bramovich. Marina? Yeah. Abramovich? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Madame didn't help, right? Because I'm like, Madame Marina Abramovich Blavatsky? Like, I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So uh, I actually saw in, in a bunch of articles, they refer to her as H.P. Blavatsky. Yeah. I was like, okay, that helps. But now, you know, I did the research. I have a story to go along with it. So I think I'll be able to remember a little bit better. I think it'll help, uh, especially when you got a picture that you can put with it too, because they yes. do not look alike at all. But no. they are both very, very sinister. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you've you've commented on how much you enjoyed because when I put together the show notes, I put pictures for all the people, and this glorious black and white, low res image of Madame Blavatsky has just been drawing you into the show notes every time, right? Uh, technically it's caused me to toss my phone across the room like three times. <laughs> like I was so, it was so bad. I started minimizing the pictures. I'm like, I don't want to see this chick's face <laughs> again. I don't, I don't even know why he's got pictures in the show notes. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is not what I asked for. That's funny. I, I, I started to like Photoshop and recrop it with something else. I was like, nah, this is way too much work. Uh, just like, uh, I don't know. I can't even think of an attractive actress at this point with this fuzzy figure staring at me. Yeah, that's funny. Man. Angelina Jolie be like, this is Madame Blavatsky. Like, wow. Right. How'd they get that camera back then? Mm, this ain't too bad. <laughs> Madame, is it? <laughs> so uh, she goes back a little ways. Like you were saying, she's the, the first, you know, for the modern day occultism. So born in 1831, died 1891. She's a, a mystic Russian philosopher. She also co-founded the Theosophical Society in 1875. All right, now wait a minute. I think we were flying through here real quick. Too quick? Too quick? Yeah. I say first thing I think it's interesting, she only lived 60 years. Okay. And we're talking about somebody who really is the one of the the principal architects of occultism. 60 years. Yeah, but like in the 1800s, is that not a decent lifespan? Or yeah, It's not. Uh, my point is not so much that it's not whether it's a decent lifespan or not. Or the number. It's the number of years. Okay. Because I think in today's terms, we would be thinking of 60 years in a very different respect. Okay. I gotcha. And looking at what she did with her 60 years oh. is actually quite remarkable. I gotcha. Especially when you consider it in the time frame that it was. Right. You know, 60 years modern day age is one thing. Back here in the, the, the mid 1800s, mid to late 1800s as that's a not, woman yeah that's not a time that i would have wanted to be alive no you know especially as a female and an immigrant hygiene deodorant toothbrushes oh. uh i'm really thinking about electricity <laughs> that would too we ain't got no ac everybody's <laughs> walking everywhere yeah that that sounds torturous doesn't it i'm just saying <laughs> there's no google <laughs> uh uh, but the year that the Theosophical Society was initiated, 1875, that's important. But we'll hit that a little bit later. Okay. Not to bury the lead, but it's a nugget we'll, we'll come up on. Okay. So I have a quote here from her. Uh, I tried to get some quotes from the snakeheads just, you know, so it's not our 
interpretation of what they're doing, but kind of from the horse's mouth, you know? I thought this one was relatively interesting. She says, as God creates, so man can create. Given a certain intensity of will and the shapes created by the mind become subjective. Hallucinations, they are called, although to their creator, they are real as any visible object is to anyone else. Given a more intense and intelligent concentration of this will, and the form becomes concrete, visible, objective. The man has learned the secret of secrets. He is a magician. That's interesting. Okay, what'd you get from that? Well, I just thought that it gave it gave us a little bit of insight on how she perceives the world. Okay, how so? Well, I think it's interesting that that her idea of reality is a little bit relative. Like hallucinations are real to the people. Uh, yeah, they might seem real, but they're called hallucinations because they're not. Mm. You know, so even though something seems real, you know, similarity isn't sameness. And and you you've got to be. And when you when you go into these things, it's important to activate your your logic radar, right? Mm-hmm. Or logic sensor, because you don't have to understand all the depths of everything that everyone's saying. But that Wing Chun technique that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. If it if it doesn't align with logic, then you got to go. Oh, you're you're off to a bad start. True. So she says, you know, hallucinations are real to to anyone, but a more intense, intelligent concentration of a hallucination somehow makes it concrete, visible, and objective. So if I have a more concentrated, intelligent, intense hallucination, somehow I can manifest that into the real world. Seems. A little bit crazy to me, but I, I think it gives us some insight to her perception of one truth, reality, and how one interacts with it. So that's why I picked that quote. Okay. In her early days, she was uh, she was under a very authoritarian father. So if we're going to go back, draw a little bit of history mm-hmm. and on maybe how she ended up with this crazy view of the world. So she was under an authoritative authoritarian, geez, authoritative father. And then she was arranged to marry this other person. Didn't really like him, but she was like, hey, maybe I, I'll be, I'll have a little bit more freedom over here if I get out of my daddy's house, you know, was her idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, marries this guy. Didn't last but a couple months. Apparently, there wasn't much more freedom under her husband than, than her father. I was actually told that she didn't even consummate the marriage. Oh, really? Yeah. What I understand, they were married, didn't didn't consummate the marriage and I believe she was divorced shortly after there, maybe six months or something like that. If I remember right. Okay. Uh, but a very short time. And I don't think she remarried again. Hmm. Interesting. It's a little weird. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, this is nothing to point at like, Ooh, that's it. That's how we know she's an evil lady. No, but it, it, it's strange. Yeah. Especially not, not consummating the marriage and then divorcing. And I think believe after that, she took on the uh, the what would it be a moniker of madam. Okay, so like to to denote her celibacy or something like that, uh, or maybe her her. Like, or, I, I see it differently. Okay, I see it as a declaration of a lack of covering and independence. Okay, like I'm not under anyone. I am Madam Blavatsky. Right. Okay, that makes sense. But I mean, she wasn't just crazy, you know, running away from men though. In uh, 
1878, she became an American citizen, mm-hmm. which is impressive because she wasn't just an American citizen, but she was the first Russian to defect and come to America, first female Russian to defect and come to America and be accepted as a, a citizen, which, which is pretty impressive. I, I don't think that you can be, how do I want to say, you're, you're definitely not a, a hole in the wall or peasant that ran away from your husband, right? Right. And then ends up going to America and you're like, hey, we'll just take you in. Like there has to be some, some clout, you know, in, in order to be able to make that move. So one of the things that might have given her some clout or influence is because she was actually known to have mystical powers. Yeah, one of the things I heard when she actually came over here was the fact that uh, during the research, one of the things um, that I learned was that when she came here and began to get involved in the occult scene uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the West, in America, she found that a lot of people were drawn to the performance, the manifestations of occult power, but okay. didn't really care much about the knowledge base behind it. Interesting. Yeah, it was, and it's kind of it's funny because I see the same thing on the Christian side. That people just want the the show. They want the signs and the miracles, but don't necessarily really care about understanding the theology and the the information behind it. So you understand the struggle, <laughs> right? I, I was a little sensitive to that. Okay. Well, yeah, she was. She, she. You're right. She was known for being able to manifest some things, and actually was uh, able to produce objects, not just move objects at will. Telekin, what is that? Telekinesis. Yeah, when you can move items with your mind, it's telekinesis. Right, but she was she was actually able through occult power, not her own, to actually produce and manifest objects out of thin air using demonic power. Okay. And you know, over here in the West, that's a big thing because you got the scientific community that's trying to figure out what laws of physics did you you utilize. Mm-hmm. Then you got the religious establishment establishment that's completely enamored by the manifestation of such power. But neither one is actually trying to figure out what are you doing. Okay. Which apparently really drove her nuts. Yeah. She seemed to not get along well with the, excuse me, the contemporary spiritual aspects of culture. That's something I've noticed among all four of these guys that we're going to talk about. Okay. Um, And I think it's not just unique to them. I think it's part of the, the way Satan's kingdom functions. Okay. Kind of like a snake shedding its skin. Yeah. I mean, there's like order to it, but as you're watching it, there's also a measure of chaos and internal conflict. Okay. And they feed off of that chaos and internal conflict. They feed off of that internal fighting and they use that to produce, um, quote unquote, evolutionary advancement in the, in the cause. Okay. You know, you'll see this a lot with, with, uh, Alistair Crowley, who we'll get to a little bit later. Right. No, that makes sense. Same basic thing. So I think that infighting is part of the uh, the contention aspect of that whole kingdom. Okay. Because I know one of the people that she uh, had a lot of contention with was those that performed seances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're doing a seance, uh, you're a medium or whatever, you get your friends together <clears throat> or people pay you to to speak to the dead, you know, past loved ones or whatever. Well, Blavatsky believed that they weren't past loved ones, that they were just these other spiritual entities that you were making contact with. And that was a huge point of contention for her. And of course, anyone making their, their money, you know, by allowing people to speak to their dead relatives is not going to like that idea either. Right. So it's, it's pretty interesting. 
another thing that's interesting is some of the books that she wrote. So she wrote Isis Unveiled, uh, The Secret Doctrine, and The Voice of Silence. Okay. The one that really sticks out to me is Isis Unveiled because we're talking about architects of the new occult order. Mm-hmm. But we have to realize that if this is the new one, there was an old one. You know, we, we talk about ancient, you know, Canaanite religions, the synagogue of Satan and all of this. Well, her very first book that she writes is Isis Unveiled. And I think that's telling. Now, for our listeners who aren't as familiar with it as we may be, I, I think the modern ear, when they hear Isis, they're going to think a terrorist organization. Okay. Nope. That's fair. That's fair. So I think we probably need to explain why why Isis is so important from your perspective. So Isis is a, an Egyptian god, mm-hmm. right? What is it? Isis, Horus, and Osiris. Osiris make up the the I guess pagan trinity, right? Of ancient Egypt, essentially. Yeah. If you're going to look at it, yeah. So it's interesting that her first book, you know, and she's the one that came up with Theosophy. And her first book is Isis Unveiled. So it's not new ideas. It's a recreation of old ideas. So it's the old order the, or the old occult, the old world order right? Is, is where she's drawing her information and apparently her power as well. And we mentioned this twice too. What's theosophy? Theosophy. I'm glad you asked. Okay. So it took a little bit of, of looking into to find out like what the, the, the thread is like what where does this come out of and how does she balance like relation to other religions and stuff? But Madame Blavatsky believed that theosophy was the, this, the thread of truth that runs through all religion. So it makes me think I was, I was whitewater rafting, I think last weekend, something like that. And I got into a conversation with a guy and we were talking about uh, comparative religions. He said one of his favorite college, college courses was comparative religions so I'm, I'm sitting over here wondering, you know, how I can have this conversation, not coming out guns blazing, okay. know, let, let him have his, his, his moment. Cause I, I don't like to argue as much as people think that I do. <laughs> Here's a scene <laughs> in Top Gun where Iceman coughs and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. Just out of nowhere. That's rude. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he, he's explaining to me that he really liked the class and it taught him some things that he never would have thought of before because a lot of religions are saying the same type of thing and that these differences are not differences worth killing each other over. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Now there's a, a point where we can agree. There are differences in religion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. They're not worth killing over. Cool. Now we have this neutral place we can work from because I was really like, I don't know where this is going to come from. But this compa- this idea, comparative religion, I, I think a lot of this stems from Blavatsky's idea of theosophy, because what it is, is that there's a little bit of truth in every religion. Okay. And theosophy is like the, the systematic uh, accumulation of those truths. So if there's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, ancient Egyptian, uh, the, the Jewish cabal, whatever. You take all of these and there's a little bit of truth in, in, in all of them and you piece them together almost like a puzzle and then you come up with theosophy. And that was her idea. There's a little bit of truth in everything, but theosophy is the is the the thread of truth that runs through it. Okay. And I, I actually found this, um, this image. Why am I drawing a blank? Uh, some symbolism about theosophy in the... Uh, 
theosophical society. Uh, around this, it says there's no religion higher than truth. So that just kind of carries on her idea that truth, there's a little bit of truth in everybody and we'll, we'll just take what we know to be true and that's, that's theosophy. Okay. So, so in this imagery, we have uh, the Ouroboros, which is the snake eating itself, right? Okay. And then um, right on the top of it, we have a swastika. We're talking about the logo. The logo for the theos- the Theosophical uh, Society. Thank you. Yes. So this is, and, and like anyone, you, you pick imagery that's supposed to help represent the ideas of your belief system. Okay. So she has the Ouroboros and then the swastika at the top, which will be important a little bit later. Then inside of that, we have um, what some people think is the Star of David, which is probably m- more accurately so- the Star of Solomon because it's two triangles, one pointed up, one pointed down, and a Solomon got drawn into paganism and occultism from his wives, you know, he became the head of, of that era of occultism. But anyway, Star of David, one pointing up, one pointing down, is supposed to uh, embody the idea of uh, duality. Right. Because you even have one of these triangles is black and one of them is white. And then inside of that, uh, what's that one called? It's like the cross with a circle on the top. The onk. So it's uh, ancient Egyptian African imagery, yeah. right? Yeah, I believe it has to do with uh, death, burial, resurrection. That that circle at the top. Okay. Um, so it's a uh, like an eternity symbol. All right, similar, Very similar to the, the Borealis. Okay. Um, before we we skip past this, though, you were talking about the Star of Solomon, and I thought it was very interesting uh, that you picked up even on the fact that there are two different colors and the duality. Mm -hmm. And that duality imagery is very pregnant in that symbol because the upward-facing star or the upward-facing triangle uh, has to do with the, I think it's the effeminate energy. Yeah, I believe the upward-facing is the the masculine energy and the downward-facing is the feminine energy. Okay. And they're they're superimposed on, on each other to bring quote unquote balance. Okay. And it's the same symbol that's used in um, the Eastern star. It's also the same symbol used in Wicca. Interesting. Okay. So it's the, uh, the star of ISIS. That's what it refers to. And I believe those three points on each of the, each of the triangles represents a, a critical element. Okay. Wow, there's a lot more to that than I thought. Yeah, there's a ton that's in that, and that's why certain people in the know have a problem with that whole Star of David idea. No, that makes sense. It's not something that you see ever really associated with the biblical Hebrews. Okay. At all. It's a very, um, it's a popular symbol today, but it's also a very pagan symbol that has occult meaning buried deep in it. Right. It's one of those things you got to really, you have to know about it. But then when you do, you really have to question why is it being used? Right. Because people don't pick symbols all willy nilly. Right. Yeah. So that's what Blavatsky thought. And that's how she formed uh, the idea of theosophy. But I found some information directly from the uh, Theosophical Society website, which is, which is pretty interesting. Sorry, I was still on the start. <laughs> Did you have more to say about it? There's like three other things that popped up in my head. 
Uh, All right, hit it, real, the, hit it real quick then. Okay, so with that same star, you're dealing with a six-pointed image, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a hexagram. Uh, okay. Hex being real important for for pagan occult reasons, obviously putting a curse on on things like that. Right. Um, but it's different from a five-pointed star, which is what we have on our flags and all over our country. So the five-pointed star is known as the star of Satan. Okay. And I believe it's the star of Lucifer. Interesting. Like the, okay. The Satan star is considered um, still following the, the, the form of duality. Mm-hmm. One is considered bad, one's considered good, and it's the same person. Okay. So I may have these mixed up, um, but I think the five-pointed star is the, is the one for... Satan. For Satan. I think that's the good star. Interesting. And then the other one is for, maybe it's backwards. Lucifer? Yeah. I would think that the Lucifer would be the good one. Yeah, and Satan that's would what be I'm going to say. I think it might be backwards. Okay. I'm misquoting it. Uh, but again, they still carry that duality. And what shocked me is if that's true, why do we have these plastered all over our country? Yeah, that's interesting. All over. Uh-huh. Like, what is that saying? That's oh, just a star. That's, that's all that symbol is. It doesn't really mean anything. Well, okay, that's a pentagram, and and the other one's a hexagram. <laughs> they do have significant, they're pregnant with meaning. Right. You know, so it's not an accident. Oh, absolutely not. I think for her to pick the hexagram says a lot uh, about where her, her spiritual roots are at. I would agree. And then to pick all of these in one symbol? Right. For it's a logo? A, it's a lot. Yeah. I've shown some people this and they're just like, yeah, that's too much. Absolutely. That's too many symbols for it's me like, to try. It almost try. seems like the old school coexist symbol. Yeah. Kind of like. <laughs> We're missing just like two or three other little little religious symbols in there. We'd be all right. Right. But I mean, that speaks to the idea. You know, they, they take truth from everything. And, you know, like the comparative religion class would say, oh, no, we should all get along. And on the the lines of theosophy is where we get along. And I think, you know, I know we're going to talk about theosophy and the theosophical, theosophical society here in a minute, probably a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that, that Helena Blavatsky is, I don't want to say well-known for, one of the things you have to recognize is that she basically is the foundation for interfaith connectivity. Okay, yes. So what we'll see decades later mm-hmm. with, you know, modern day coexist movement. Right, what we see happening in the Vatican. Yeah, right now mm-hmm. has its roots back to what she's establishing and what she's actually signaling just by the logo of the Theosophical Society that she establishes. Right, and she even believed, you know, we talk about the dangers of a one world religion now and people... You know, people that aren't a conspiracy theorist are like, that's crazy. That's never going to happen. But no, that's that was her vision is that eventually it would be one world religion. But her arrogance was that it would be the religion that she established of theosophy because it combines elements from all of them. And it's not lost on me that as she was 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 practicing this in the United States and then moved to India, she was very, very resourceful and shaping the religious uh, outlook of, of, I don't want to say Indians, but I don't want that to be confusing. <laughs> you know, from people from India. 
Mm-hmm. Even to the fact, even to the point that she was training the the uh, the Gutmas. Oh, really? Or not not the Gutmas, the the Mahatmas. Oh, okay. And so, with that, with her writings being so significant, the fact we can't forget, she's not just writing this stuff out of her own well. She's tapped into occult powers, meaning let's translate this. She's tapped into satanic energy. She is com- she's communing with demonic spirits that are giving her what the Bible calls doctrines of demons. Right. This is what she's writing through occult practices like automatic writing, direct mm-hmm. downloads, you know, that type of stuff. She's actually pinning, being the physical instrument to pin demonic doctrines that influence other quote unquote spiritual gurus like the Mahatmas. Now that term to a Westerner should ring a bell. Right, like Mahatma where, where, Gandhi. How, that's it. Mm-hmm. She was one of the principal people to instruct him. Okay. She influenced Gandhi. That's interesting. Absolutely, because look at the influence that Gandhi's had on the West. Yeah. Now, what I can't wrap my mind around and figure out is why did why is she directed or led to do this in India, which is the capital of Buddhism? Isn't it Buddhism? Hinduism. Hinduism. And Buddhism, I mean, you could argue that Buddhism is really a denomination of Hinduism. Okay. But, yeah. Is it the Hindus who believe there's like three million gods? No. The Hindus? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I said no. Yeah, Hindus believe that there's a whole bunch of gods. Right, but they're also very accommodating of other people's gods. Right. They're like, sure, you can jump in on this. Right, or your belief system. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have one god and you believe he's the only god, they're like, okay, cool. Which seems like their, their worldview is the perfect one for melding all of these religious views together. That's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, that's why I'm looking at it like that's strategic that you're over there influencing those particular people. Right. And and, and something else I noticed, and I didn't know this when we, when we first put together the show, all four of the snakeheads that we're going to talk about established a, a religion or, or an organized set of ideals. And you don't do that unless your intention is to convert other people to your way of thinking. Mm. I was like, huh. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's, it's intentional. They don't just want to sit there and have their own thoughts. They want you to have them as well. That's, <laughs> that's a very uneasy thought. Yeah. Especially when you, you take into account the amount of influence that these people really had mm-hmm. and still have today. Right, the influence that they are currently having. Right, we could have just as easily titled this episode Four People Who Rule the World from Their Graves. Yep. And it would have been equally legitimate. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, editorial note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's interesting because, again, your logic, your logic filter or radar, we need to come up with an official term for that. Okay. And maybe even a sound effect. All right. Boop, boop, boop. I don't know. Not that. <laughs> Uh, but it's got to be on when you're reading this because just there's a reason that I just I I picked specific sections from the Theosophical Society verbatim because it's it's very telling so this is from their their website it says ever since its founding in 1875 the Theosophical Society has stood for freedom of thought and theta jeez sorry I'm already getting the the ideals are train wrecking in my head so Okay, let's, let's straight them out. I know, I know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but it stood for freedom of thought and respect for all people, regardless of race, class, caste, sex, or religion. 
To join the Theosophical Society, you are required to have no specific beliefs. What? Okay. I got a train wreck right there. Right. How can you have no specific beliefs? And okay, it, it gets it gets more confusing and interesting as we go on. So you're not <clears throat> you're not allowed to have any specific beliefs. You need only to state your agreement with the society's three objectives. Okay. How can I agree with your objectives if I'm not allowed to have any specific beliefs? I don't know how you could agree with the, an objective if you don't believe in the objective you're agreeing with. Right. Like, this is already contradictory. And, and, the, and, and this type of illogical thinking is what has dominated the thoughts of, of the secular world. What it seems then. like, though, is clear your mind. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. I can see that. You know, open your open your mind, clear it. The same was meditation and right. yoga. Empty yourself out. Exactly. Don't have any beliefs, which is also a very Buddhist idea. Mm-hmm. You know, nirvana, to achieve nirvana is to have the absence of all desire. Right. But I don't know how you achieve that without the desire to achieve it. Right. It's yep. Stuff it doesn't work. Doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all. But no, I'm right there with you. It's really what it sounds like. It sounds like a veiled form of uh, Buddhism. Yeah. I mean, it could be, it, that's gotta be part of it. Cause she just borrows truth from everybody. Right. It's like a, a, a la carte religious, religious, uh, platform. It's a mutt. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So three objectives. What are they? First one to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. So, Interesting. Up here in the beginning, their website, you know, in giving a, a brief overview, it says that the Theosophical Society stood for freedom of thought and respect for all people, regardless of race, class, caste, sex, or religion. But in their first objective, we want to rid the distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Mm. And if we're looking back, what is it? The uh, Einsoff, the snake in the tree. Or what religion? Uh, shoot, why? Uh, the, uh, Kabbalist. Kabbalist. The uh, Sabbatai, um, Sabbatai and uh, man, I should have wrote this down. <laughs> but no, so the the Kabbalist, the snake in the tree, is a hermaphrodite. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that the closer you can come to being androgynous or a hermaphrodite or Blurring the distinction of sex is the closer you can become to God. So the first objective of the Theosophical Society is no distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. So not only is that dangerous, and tied right back to Brad Pitt, here we go, mixing it up. We don't want to have any distinction. You're an alpha male. You're also an address. It's cool. We're working on it. So we're not just arbitrarily drawing these or picking these names out of a hat. Direct, direct ideological connection. But then how do you have no distinction of creed if you have a creed of three objectives that are specific to theosophy but are supposed to be indistinguishable from any other creed? It just doesn't make, you can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. Right, it doesn't. Uh, let's see the second one. To encourage the comparative study of religion, philosophy, and science. And if they were being honest about that, they wouldn't want people to do it because if you're studying it, you're going to realize how nonsensical it is. Right. 
Uh, objective number three is to investigate unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in humanity. So this next thing that I discovered when looking up theosophy is pretty exciting because I haven't seen anybody else cover this. Okay, what is it? Have you heard the root races of theosophy? I actually haven't. No, this this was really cool. What is that about? It is, so we've talked about race being a, like an artificial construct. Okay. Right? So we have, what is it, Blumenbach, who yeah, had all yeah. the, the colors and he created races. Well, uh, Blavatsky did this for theosophy, but did it in a, a slightly different manner. Okay. Which, which was, so when I first saw it, I was like, great, she's going to have different colors. And, and I looked at it, I was like, oh, wait, that's not really what's happening at all. This, this seems weird. Like, I've never heard anything about a root race. Right. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. Her race is, it's, it's um, like a, a linear progression. So okay. Blum, Blumenbach takes current people and separates them into color and says, these are the races that you are. She took um, history and combined it with the present and then attached some future and then uh, assembled the, the races or delineated the races by time in a linear fashion. Does that make sense? Okay. So you kind of have to borrow evolution. Okay. You, you or I guess not borrow. You have to adopt evolution wholeheartedly. Maybe not Darwinian evolution, but the concept of evolution has to come into play if you're breaking up races based on a, a linear timeline. So we're talking about progressive development of of the human race. Yes. But she's breaking it up into three to seven different segments, right? Seven different segments, yeah. Okay. So, so are these like, so these aren't necessarily seven different racial groups stemming from one ancestor? No. Okay. That's going to fly. That's going to be a conceptual challenge, I think, for most people that have a modern idea of, of, of quote unquote race theory. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Okay. Uh, so I'm the, the idea of her, her seven root races is interesting, but it also reminds me of what Henry Morris said in the long war against God, which was that the idea of evolution is really ancient. And, oh, he, and he talks yeah. about any, as soon as you degrade your religious framework from monotheism, you have to adopt evolution to take its place. Mm. So here in a, in a pantheistic or polytheistic, I'm not really sure it would probably depend on how deep into theosophy you get on where you land, but you have to adopt the idea of evolution to make sense of things. Okay. So I was like, here it is again, not Darwinian, but conceptually the idea of evolution. So Blavatsky has seven groupings. The first ones are the Polarians. Is that right? I think so. I didn't come up with this. I have no well, no, and, and you'll have to forgive me. Like I said, I've not seen anyone else cover these. So my pronunciation of these things is off of never hearing them talked about before. So it's a little interesting. This is the first root race. It was primarily spiritual, like astral. You know, you talk about the astral plane and projecting. Yeah. So they're, they're mainly just spiritual beings. Uh, and they, they did not leave physical remains. So almost only spirits. Okay. Which, which is interesting. The second one is the Hyperboreans. And the Hyperboreans were a root race, and uh, they were semi-astral. Uh, they grew denser and, and more op opaque. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, I should have known that one. <laughs> with, with each passing age. 
So there's ages even within these like racial groupings. It's 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 kind of confusing. Okay. So what she says by root race, she means almost like an age. So you have the age of the Polarians. Okay. Then you would have the age of the Hyperboreans. So that's kind of what we're talking about. And you can have different uh, changes within that, but it's still their age. Okay. So towards the end of the Hyperboreans, <clears throat> they became more gelatinous and filamentoid in structure. They developed rudimentary beginnings of bones and organs, hair and skin. And although still more or less devoid of form, it began to show the outlines of what would be later a humanoid. Hmm. <clears throat> However, towards the end, its bodies passed through many curious part animal forms. So now this is a really bizarre combination of like Darwinian thinking and hyper-spirituality. Mm-hmm. So you have these the Polarians, purely spiritual beings, that then develop into the Hyperboreans that started developing bodies and bones and humanoid form, but then also turned into other animals. Like to kind of, I mean, w- when you try to combine a bunch of ideologies that speak in contradictory ways, this is the kind of nonsense that I think you come up with. Like Darwinian evolution leaves no room for God. You know, all the different religions don't leave room for any of the other religion and you can't smash them all together and have it make sense. So the Hyperboreans kind of turned into humanoids and also turned into other animals. Okay. All right. Not sure there's any evidence or that it makes sense, but yeah, so that was the Hyperborean age. Okay. The third age would be the uh, Lemurians. L-E-M-U-R-I-A-N-S. And they were the first with complete physical bodies. They were described as a race of three-eyed giants and inhabited a lost continent of Lemuria, which is where the Indian and Pacific Oceans are now. Modern theosophists sometimes sometimes identify Lemuria with the uh, actual supercontinent of Gondwanda. Gondwana? You said Wakanda? That's what I thought. I was like, Wakanda? Forever? It's a real place. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and others refer to it as mu, m-u, m-u. I'm sorry for the listener. I apologize. I've never heard these words pronounced before. I was surprised here that they weren't talking about, um, what is the, I just lost my train of thought. The, the commonly accepted supercontinent. Pangea. Pangea. Thank you. I was thinking Pandora. Like you, oh no, that you, was the one next door. Yeah. You got to straighten things out. Yeah. Pangea. So I've never heard of these, but apparently supercontinent ideas, you know, are, are not just contemporary. Okay. Pretty interesting. First mm-hmm. full bodies. Then this one we've heard of the, the fourth era is the Atlanteans, the age of Atlanteans. Now I'm like, huh, now we get some, some things that I'm a little bit more familiar with. Right. Right. Combining. So the Atlantean root race includes the following sub races and apologies again, this, the, the Ramaus, the Tlavit, Tlavits, the Toltecs, the first Turians, the original Semites, the Akkadians and Mongolians. Hmm. The last two I've heard of actually original Semites. I mean, I've heard of the Semites. So the last three I've heard of the first four, I have not. Okay. And uh, 
as we get here, so we have the the Lumerians, which were three-eyed giants, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe that the idea is because as they're they're coming away from their spiritual beginnings as the the pure spiritual era of the Polarians, that this third eye is more directly connected to their spiritual being. Okay. So as you move to the Atlanteans, the Atlanteans don't have three eyes. But when you hear occultists talk about opening your third eye, they're referring to the Lumerian third eye from these classes or ages of root races of theosophy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's like a um, like conjuring up a vestigial organ. Does that make sense? Yeah, one that for whatever evolutionary purpose, you don't think that it's necessary anymore, so you get rid of it, but you want it back because it gives you more spiritual insight. Hmm, okay, it's a little weird. It is weird, but I also thought it was interesting because it gives a little bit more substance to the third eye idea. Like, what's a third eye? You know, oh, it's a spiritual eye, but it's just kind of this idea that exists in a uh, ethereal place without any connection. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this actually gives it some, I mean, not that it makes a lot of sense, but it does give some substance behind the idea of the third eye. Okay. This next one, this one's the controversial one. You, re- you ready for the, the fifth age? Yeah. The fifth root race So we've got Valerians, Hyperboreans, Lemurians, Atlanteans, and now we're getting to a fifth one. The fifth one. Okay, what's that? Aryans. That- white folks? White folks. Okay. <laughs> this says the constituent sub-races of the Aryan root race include the following. We have Hindus, Sumerians, Egyptians, Greeks and Romans, Europeans, Nova men, and indigo children and star children. Okay, see that? That's just a lot. It is. Again, you have to remember it like this. It's the age of man. So... As I understand it, I've not heard anyone else teach on this, and I just kind of had to dig it up myself. But Hindus would be the f- the first stage in the fifth age of man, right? Mm-hmm. So in the Aryan age of man, you begin with Hindus, and then as you progress, Sumerians, Egyptians, Greek, Romans, Europeans, Nova men. Not sure what a Nova man is, but I believe that indigo children and star children, we've yet to get there. Okay. Right. So we're we're trying to move past Europeans into Nova men and then hopefully into the star children or indigo children for for the for the fifth root race of theosophy. Okay. Interesting. It's also interesting that six and seven are non existent. She says that the, the sixth root race is a seal, the seventh root race is a trumpet. Sounds a lot like revelation to me. Seals and trumpets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also believe that at the end of the seventh root race, the human period of activity on earth will cease and a planetary period of rest will begin. The human life wave will then transfer to Mars. M-A-R-S, Mars, that's where we are going. Mars, Red Rocks! Yay, yay! What in the world? All right, Brad Pitt, wear another dress because this is nonsense to me. Okay, now as we're as we're going through this and I'm looking at it. Okay. Um I see something a little different where if the perspective is adjusted a bit. Okay, you think I'm looking at it wrong? I'm not saying no, no, no. I'm not I'm not saying you're looking at it wrong, but one of the things I've started to notice 
with occult writings mm-hmm. is there are different perspectives that they have to be viewed at to kind of get the the correct angle on it. Okay. And I think from one perspective, it looks like mm, <clears throat> as they begin to rotate, you begin to see it from other perspectives. Okay. There are things that stick out that don't stick out if you're just looking at it head on or you're uninitiated. And that's one of the problems. Okay. Uh, but keeping in mind that she is, she's channeling this information from demonic spirits. Okay. I'd be asking myself, what are they trying to communicate or convince humanity of? And I think okay. if you look at these, there are some interesting things that stick out immediately. Number one, there, there's a haptatic structure to this. Haptatic meaning seven. Okay. So just like there's a divine week in the creation week, mm-hmm. there seems to be, if you take the timeline of man, this is like the week of man. Okay. Week being any group of seven. Oh. like a dozen. And she says the period of rest after. Yes. Sorry, I'm not trying to. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring it out as you're talking. Sorry, go ahead. That's funny. <laughs> so I also hear the ancient, um, what, do, what do we want to call it? The, the ancient Luciferian story being retold to humanity. Okay. So what do you got first? You got the Polarians, right? Right. Which to me seems to be talking about the star. It reminds me of the star Polaris. Okay. Which I believe is like one of the, you see the brightest with the North star. I think it's the North star. Okay. Makes sense. So if it's the North star, all of a sudden I've got an emphasis being placed on North. If we go back in scripture. Remember that Satan said he wanted to place his throne where? In the, the heavens of the North or the, the stars sides of the North? of the North. Okay. Remember he wanted to be equal to God. God right. The side the North, of the North. Right. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, okay. You got that. You, we got the first one being apparently man, Man came from the star or the people that came from the the star of the north. Gotcha. Reiterated with this Hyperboreans, the second stage. Which are apparently apparently (laughs) the Bereans are the north people. I'm so mad that I missed all of this. I think I was just so excited to find it. No, I think you're. Oh, that's crazy. Sorry. Continue. So, so, So the. Our listeners can understand what's happening. Expect an invoice. <laughs> I'll add it to the rest of it. <laughs> so, okay. So you got the Bereans, which I believe means the, the North people. And then you got hyper on there. So that's mm-hmm. like the furthest North. Okay. Again, another iteration of this concept of North, which is not directional North. I think it's spiritual North. That makes sense. Then we come to the, uh, the what is it? The, the, the Lumerians. Mm-hmm. Which which were the first with physical bodies? Hang on one second. Can I hop in here? Yeah. So if we have this this mixture, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a mixture here of spiritual beings and physical bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And then it also says that they have part animal forms. You're just gonna take my thunder, huh? Well, you moved to the Lumerians. I thought you were done. Oh, that was part of the hyperbreans. In my mind, that was the the animal parts. Okay, now, take it then. I, I just didn't want to make sure we miss it. Oh, no, you go ahead. You were just talking about it. Okay, so if you if you look at uh, Genesis 6 tells us that the angels came down. And, That's where I was thinking. And slept with women. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So this would be the first outlines of the human form or whatever. But not just with women. Right. The book of Enoch and the book of Giants says that they also came down <clears throat> and um, messed up the flesh of a bunch of animals. Was it 2,000 different animals i don't even know how many 
uh, animals it was. Yeah, I can't but remember. They said they cor- it corrupted all, all flesh. All flesh, right. Which they means it's it- animals, plants, people, all of that. They corrupted the entire created order. So that may, that makes sense of why I was confused about this. From an evolutionary perspective, it doesn't make sense. From an angel's coming down and corrupting the flesh that already exists on the earth, it makes perfect sense how you get human and animal forms. Right. Oh, that's dope. Then you get to the Lumerians were the first with, with physical bodies. And they were giants. Exactly. So it'd be the Nephilim, right? There you go. Man. And we got three eye giants. So now we've got your open your third eye, which has got to be, especially if you're a giant, because I think one of the one of the uh, from from what I remember in some of the independent research, I had to do, <laughs> um, there were certain indicators of Nephilim activity that were present in physical form of a creature. Um, what do they call that? Poly polydactyls. I'm not sure. It's not pterodactyls. I know what those are. <laughs> They've got uh, pets. <laughs> I believe that they're polydactyls. Like if you have more than five, uh, five fingers, like when you get to the six. Okay. Uh, that was considered a mark of, of Nephilim gene genealogy. Uh, okay. If, if you have more than five, the other thing were the Cyclops, the single eye. Okay. That was another marker, uh, especially in the giant clans. So I can imagine if giants and, and human beings and giants being the the offspring of the Nephilim, if on some level they're commingling with humanity, I can see three coming up. Right. The two eyes of humanity and then <clears throat> the the one eye of the... The Cyclops. Yeah. Interesting. Now that singular eye thing starts to come back in Luciferian iconography. Yeah. This is why you start seeing people who are initiated or indicating that they're initiated covering up one of their eyes. And only showing one. Yeah. And Brad Pitt has had, had a few of those pictures taken. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll post that on our, on Instagram. Okay. Um, but he's not the only celebrity. It's a very common pose, which is a callback to this type of uh, this type of form. That's the, the derivative of a called activity in the earth, which is all the stuff we get from Genesis six and Enoch, right. uh, the first book of Enoch. Excuse me. Um, now, I find it interesting also that the Lumerians are said to be from a lost continent. Okay. Somewhere in the Indian Pacific Ocean. Now, we're talking a lost continent. Are we talking about something that existed pre-flood that was wiped out? Okay. Not sure. But notice what the next phase is, is the Atlanteans. Now, the Atlanteans were from an island called Atlantis, founded by one of Poseidon's sons. Poseidon okay. is a Titan. Titan makes him a Nephilim. So this is a Nephilim King Island. All right. That apparently was wiped out somewhere in the Atlantic ocean, Atlantic ocean or, uh, Northwest Africa. I've heard two different stories. Okay. On where Atlantis could possibly be. Right. Um, but either way, it's gotta be somewhere on the Western coast. Somewhere on that western coast of Africa, or or out in to sea, because the entire ocean is named after it. Right. You know, that's why we <laughs> call it the the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, but these people were supposed to be, um, the kings of of their whole domain. Like I believe they had seven kingdoms that were under them, and this is supposed to be what what modern day reformers are trying to get back to. Okay. Which is the whole Atlantean order. This is what Francis Bacon was talking about when he wanted to found, help to found the United States. He wanted to transform it back to the new Atlantis. 
Interesting. So all of his stuff is, is connected. Yeah. Then you move to the fifth one, which is the Aryans. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody thinks skinhead when you hear Aryan. <laughs> yeah. But I believe it was, uh, who's the guy's, what, what's his name? <sighs> Gary Wayne. Okay. Dr. Gary Wayne uh, was the first one to give me the idea that Aryans actually has nothing to do with skinheads and actually is a clan or a race of giants. I believe it's the blonde haired giants, blonde haired, blue eyed giants. Okay. So giants in, in the European, the European continent, mm-hmm. I believe they came in two forms, blonde hair, blue eyed, or they were redhead. Okay. And yeah. Red eyed, I believe. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. It's interesting then if the giants from, from that European side of the world were, red-haired, red-eyed, and then blue-eyed, blonde-haired, mm-hmm. that that becomes the standard of beauty for the people who dwell there. Right. I think it helps explain why blonde-haired, blue-eyed is, is the thing. I wonder if that would be the, the Nova men. Because if we're talking about Aryans, so the, it's the whole like age of Aryans. I don't think that's what the Nova men are. Well, no, I mean, if you're trying to be like something, because you would imagine that oh, yeah. you're trying to ascend to the next stage, right? Mm-hmm. In your age. I mean, because I, I really don't know. I don't have a definition of what Nova men are. Well, but it's got to at least mean new men because Nova means new. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Let us say, care for a minute. <laughs> I ain't trying to be condescending. I mean, the, the idea of new men, because we talk so much about transhumanism. Right. And this whole idea of uh, directed evolution. That's crazy. I don't know who put these notes together, Uh huh. but I'm so mad that I missed <laughs> all of this. That's you know, crazy. You know, it, it takes a group. That's all. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I had, I didn't see any of this reading it through the first time. That's yeah, well, dope. I think it's when you, you have a chance to step back and see it from a different perspective. Right. Uh, that you can see that. Now, here's what was curious to me. Uh, one of the things I was reading yesterday uh, was talking about the idea that each of these groups, when you when you progress under, um, how do I want to say this? I don't want to call it a day. Each group in this week, when you progress to the the next the next group, mm-hmm. takes its uh, takes its cue from that sub race number. So let me try to give this as an example. Okay. If you're going from week. I mean, if you're going from group four to group five, mm-hmm. you look at the subgroup of four, that fifth subgroup would become what uh, group five was. Explain. Well, under uh, under the Atlanteans, the fifth subgroup or subrace would be original Semites. Okay. And this so- idea was saying that, that that would be where the next group, like the Aryans, would, it would extend from. Okay. If that's true... Look under group five, the sixth group in group five would be Nova men. And that's where that next age is going to draw be the its- next age. But it does seem to have bear some credibility in culture right now because we're pushing for new humanity, humanity plus humanity 2.0. Yeah. So just to, to, to add to this, I, I had talked to a couple people yesterday and the day before about this episode. Okay. And I was like, it's really interesting. These are the people that we're going to cover, you know, Blavatsky, Bailey Crowley, mm-hmm. and LeVay. And they're like, I've, I haven't heard of any of them. 
Shut up, really? Mm-hmm. But it's it's not lost Look, on... I'm, I'm not surprised about Blavatsky and maybe Bailey. I am surprised about Crowley, Crowley and LeVay. Crowley and LeVay, yeah. You'd think, you'd think that people would heard of him. Yeah. But, but we talk about dumbing down the society. Okay. And here you have the mid to late 1800s. This stuff is being laid down, right? Mm-hmm. Put down on paper because these are the beliefs. And we see the manifestation of that happening in society today. Yeah. You know, the new men, you know, all of that, everything that you've laid out. But no one knows. Nobody even knows the names of the people associated to these groups. So I know we keep picking on Brad Pitt, but it looks like just a dude wearing a dress. You know, it just looks like the next scientific discovery. It just looks like Facebook changed its name to Meta. It's not. It's all part of this Luciferian satanic control matrix. Yeah, yeah. You're spot on. Now, here's what I wonder. You wrote Seal and Trumpet in yes. the notes for the sixth root and the seventh root. Because that's what they had. The The website that I got this from, and I'll post the link, like all of this stuff, all the, if you're interested, if you're listening and you're interested, I've got all the links of where I got this info. They will be in the show notes. Yes. We were not high in making this stuff up. Nope. Although it may have helped, <laughs> <laughs> but they listed uh, the sixth and seventh. It just said seal and trumpet. They had no information for them whatsoever. Now here's what I find fascinating. If that theory that I was telling you a moment ago is true, the sixth sub root of the fifth order uh-huh. is Nova men. Okay. If Nova men come on the scene and live the next root race, mm -hmm. I wonder if their existence as transhumanists and non non uh, legal life forms, like not ones that God has initiated, uh -huh. I wonder if that would require a judgment, i.e., a seal. Interesting. Like a revelation seal being broke. Uh huh. Ultimately, resulting in the trumpet returning. Or from a Luciferian's perspective, that trumpet return has got to signal war. Right. That's By the way, I think it's interesting how, how it's laid out here. Mm -hmm. Not it's, trying to suggest that demons tell tell the truth. <laughs> no. But uh I think it is interesting though, because they have to borrow from what is true. Right. They have to distort the truth. Right. And I think it's interesting that buried underneath this crap is a retelling of what Genesis explains out and what the Bible clearly delineates. Right. Without the, without the perversion or the corruption. Right. From, from Genesis to revelation. Right. All right here. That's crazy. What's scary is that if, if that's true, the level of deception that Helena Blavatsky could be under to receive that and still not know really what she's getting. Yeah. That's layers of deception. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. Uh, I'll also add whatever the, at the end of the age, human life, uh, the human life wave will transfer to Mars. I don't know what it means that Elon Musk is trying to go to Mars. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. It might be thin, but it's also interesting that when we look to the stars to move on, that's where we're trying to go. I think it's also fascinating that there, especially when you're dealing with this esoteric type of, of information from the, the Theosophical Society mm -hmm. and Theosophy as a whole, mm -hmm. Uh, the fascination with Mars that we have as a culture, I think, has spiritual roots in it. And okay. it's not lost on me that Mars was always associated with destruction. Right. Man trying to go to Mars almost seems enigmatic of man trying to seek his own destruction. 
in an effort to save himself. Because, you know, the whole idea, we got to get off of the planet because we're destroying this one. And, and and we've learned our lesson and we won't do that at, at the next planet. Right. We're not going to fix it here. We're just going to go somewhere else and be better. And we'll, we'll fix it there. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll bring duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. But she laid, this is all the foundation that she lays. Yes. And uh, within her 60 years. And then all of a sudden she dies. I don't know what she dies from. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but she now lays the groundwork for the next snakehead to take over. Yep. Which is Alice Bailey. But but before we go on to Bailey, because she's our next snakehead, I do want to point out a direct influence that Blavatsky had on the Thule Society. The Thule Society is like the, the esoteric uh, dark arts division of the Nazi party, right? So it'd be like the CIA or DARPA for, <laughs> for the United States, unfortunately. So I got a little snippet from the... Uh, Thule Society website. From what I understand, the Thule Society was a secret society in in Germany. Yes. Whose political views helped to spawn the, what do they call that? The people's public regime. Like, it's not just called the Nazi party. What's right. it called? It was the Nazi Socialist Party. Yeah. Yes. I think that's the, that is the political manifestation of the Thule Society. Right. Like the Thule Society is the brain trust of the Nazi Socialist Party. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, okay. So all of the dark workings and stuff that we have happening and the horrible atrocities that are done in World War II by the Nazis, all that comes from the ideologies of the Thule Society. Which we decided to go rob an Operation Paperclip and bring to the United States. Right. I'm sorry, I'm getting too far ahead. You go, you go, you got this. <laughs> no, I just, I just wanted to point out, because we're talking about the architects and, you know, where they affect and how that's impact, cult, impacted culture. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Looking through some other articles, I have this snippet from the the Thule Society, and it talks about the history of it a little bit. Okay. So it says, the primary focus of Thule Jessel Shaft was the claim- Aren't you German? You know what? (laughs) That was such a black look that you gave me. (laughs) I'm a citizen of the world right now. you not to quote unquote channel your inner negro she <laughs> just gave me a drop dead look oh that is hilarious so i'm not sure how to pronounce that for anyone listening <laughs> thanks for uh, putting me on blast oh, that's hilarious. i even had sauerkraut before we started this episode <laughs> like them, them is your peoples I, th- I thought you knew how to say this you, uh, you were supposed to be like my german whisper i was gonna learn <laughs> Not today. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) It says, uh, concerning the origins of the Aryan race. So, of course, we know that they believe that the Aryan race was, like, the supreme. So, first off, just the fact that they borrowed ideas from Blavatsky about the Aryan age, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at Europeans, Greeks, Romans, like, they, their whole understanding there comes from the, the workings of the Theosophic Society. And okay. the works of Blavatsky. And, and they'll detail that out here a little bit later in the clip. Uh, but it says, Thule was a land located by Greco-Roman geographers in the furthest north. Okay. So we're connecting dots a little bit. The society Back was- that whole north motif, right? Right. So the society was named after the Ultima Thule, which is the most distant north, mentioned by the Roman poet Virgil in his epic poem, Aenid. Is that how that's pronounced? Uh, I believe so. Okay. 
says, which was far the far northern segment of Thule and is generally understood to mean Scandinavia. This is said by Nazi mystics to be the capital of ancient Hyperborea. Again, back to the root races of theosophy. So they placed Ultima Thule in the extreme north near Greenland or Iceland. So they get the idea of it's the Aryan age. So that's the people we need to be concerned about. And if you're not in this grouping of the Aryan age, then you're subhuman. You have no place in this age. Hence, that seems to give a lot of credence to, uh, what do they call that? The scientific racism theory? Yeah. The idea that there are separate races all striving uh, for dominance Mm -hmm. and that uh, certain races are inferior to others. Yep. Seems like it would probably extend from from this philosophical idea. Right. And even drawing like where... Um, where the Aryans are from, you know, the, the Hyperboreans and, and coming down that lineage of root races. It's crazy that she had that much impact. Right. Makes you wonder if this, now, of course, the enemy could probably transfer this, this information to anybody. But the fact that she was the catalyst of this demonic doctrine that initiated the horrible things that happened in, in World War II. It's pretty interesting. Okay, so I know everybody thinks that we just know everything, right? <laughs> okay. But I have questions. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, and I have to learn. So I hear Scandinavia. I try not to think about Animaniacs. <laughs> okay. And Yakko and Wacko chasing after, yeah, yeah you know, the, the nurse or whatever <laughs> over there. But I have no idea where Scandinavia is. That's fair. I don't know where it is either. So I had to go look it up. And I believe it's over like Sweden, Norway area. Okay. I mean, that's all considered Scandinavia. My question is, as the giants fled from their territories, especially during the uh, the Joshua Conquest, where did they go? Hmm. That's interesting. Because certain history says that they, the ones that weren't killed, actually fled uh, fled west okay. across the ocean. Some coming to the Americas. Right, which is how we have Native American uh, myths, right? Air quotes right. about and giants and stuff. Absolutely, but I've got to imagine if they're going west, others have to hit Iceland and Greenland. Right. I wonder if that becomes the foundation for this quote-unquote idea, this myth. I don't know. That's interesting. For whatever reason, it reminds me Norse mythology. They deal with ice giants. Hmm. Which Loki said to descend from, right? Uh-huh. Okay. I don't know. There might be something there. All right. We'll just put it on the back burner. All right. And back, to, back to these snakeheads. <laughs> back to the snakeheads. So now we're going to do Alice Bailey. She was an esoteric author. Yeah? Why are you looking <laughs> at me like that? I don't know. I thought you might say something. No, she published about 24 books um, on theosophical issues. But she actually coined the term New Age because she there was some... Um, some issues with her in, in the Theosophic Society. We can get into that here in a minute. So, oh, are we good? We're done with Bay, or we're done with Blavatsky moving full, full gear into Bailey. Oh yeah, you already said you were done. Okay, I, I just shifted gears. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I'm right here with AAB. All right, cool. Okay. So she actually had a rough beginning. So like we did with Blavatsky, we'll just do a short little history snippet and, and move into the good stuff. Um, despite being born from money, she tried to commit suicide three separate times. I think by the time she was 15 years old. Okay. Crazy. I mean, it's yeah. in our day and age, it's not that hard to, 
to imagine, but like we're talking the early 1900s. What? You know how my mind works. Why is this funny? <laughs> it's not that this is funny. It's that there's a whole nother train of thought that's cracking me up. So I got this book. This is a, this is a, this is a tangent. <laughs> uh, I have this book called, I'm, just, I'm quoting the book. Okay. Shit My Drill Instructor Says. Okay. All right. This is the name of the book. All right. And they've got so much hilarious stuff in there to be. But one of the things they got in there, uh, <laughs> drill instructor says, privates are hilarious. Now, for those who don't know, in the military, private is the lowest rank once you come out of, of basic training. All right. So those privates are hilarious. They leave an indelible impression upon you. So I was on the shooting range one day. I looked down. And Private was on the range, and he had a mark on the back of his head, right at the base of his skull. Big old just scar. I said, God dang it, Private. What the hell happened to your head? I said, Sir, my mother hit me with a claw saw. God dang, I guess inferiority just runs in your blood. Can't nobody do nothing up to standard. <laughs> Carry on, Private. <laughs> I had to think about it a bit. I was like, wait a minute. Now, the, man, the boy's mom just tried to kill him. And didn't do it properly. And you're using that as an insult for why he can't shoot straight. I was like, I love drill sergeants. Now, why that came to mind was Alice Bailey tried to commit suicide three times and apparently couldn't do it right. It's, I mean, yeah, I don't mean to make fun, but one of the times was by a self-burial. Well, she buried herself? Yeah. That's, that's a lot of work. But you have to ask yourself, how's that going to work? Which do you bury first, your head or your arms? I don't know. Because if you bury but your if head. If you're burying your arms? You can't bury your head. If you bury your head, you can knock the sand off. But you can't bury the arm that's doing the burying. No. This is already off to a bad start. Like I said, daggone <laughs> it, private. Can't do nothing up to come. <laughs> so she tried once uh, by drowning herself, once by burying herself, and then she threw herself down a flight of stairs. Interesting. I'm not sure which order this actually happens, but I know those are the three different ways that she tried to kill herself. Appar okay. Apparently, though, on this third time that she tried to kill herself is when she first met um, a spiritual entity, told her that she needed to not kill herself because she had a purpose to, to change the world. Okay, so what I'm hearing, and there's added detail here first, uh, Bailey comes from what I understand to be a, a Christian home. Yes. And I believe uh, uh, Blavatsky did as well. Okay. Um, which is curious. It is. That, that these, these four, out of, out of the four, three of them, I believe, came from Christian homes. Right. Um, which says you're not safe just because you, quote unquote, come from a Christian home or grew up in the church. Right. If anything, I'd say you're probably at more risk because you're, if we're really in a spiritual battle and you're raised in a home that's doing warfare— but you are not taught how to do it, you might be in trouble. Right. Um, but here she's coming out of out of that environment, obviously unhappy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Tries to commit suicide, which has got to mean she had a near-death experience. Okay. And in that moment... Let's I don't hope know. that she was at least good enough to have a near-death experience. Right. But somewhere in near in, in this, I don't know how, how far apart it was from her trying to commit suicide to seeing the spirit. No, like it, the, but I'm assuming they were very close. It was the, the, her third attempt, that near death experience on the third attempt is what precipitated the seeing the spirit event. Right. That's already got me having 
you know, red flags. Okay. Just looking at it, I mean, it's it's not lost on me. Uh, or the question would be, why then? Why then? You know, here you are near death experience. You just tried to kill yourself, and you have a spirit manifesting. Interesting. It I don't is. know if it's the spirit that's been torturing you, telling you to kill yourself. That's interesting. That's manifesting. Yeah. Or if demons come in packs, I don't know if it's one of his friends. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, cool. We, we can make use of this. Well, the Bible says to test the spirits. Mm-hmm. I think this would be why. Well, let's just say after she threw herself down a flight of stairs, she might not have been in her right mind. Well, that's fair. Yeah. She could have been suffering from, <laughs> uh, from, from, from internal injury. Yeah. But she, she remained a little bit sensitive about the stairs incident. Okay. Because <clears throat> she married a preacher. I think it was Episcopalian maybe, but he was abusive. So this, this I want to highlight, I, I think is the importance of, you know, we look at the 10 commandments and, you know, um, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. We think that it's about cussing and it, the typical Sunday school theology is that's why you don't use cuss words. I think it's, that's mo- bull- I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> There's plenty of other scriptures that tell us that we need to be careful with our, our language. Right. Um, but this taking the Lord's name in vain, I think is much more about stewardship of being a Christian. Right? Yeah, I believe it was uh, Chuck Missler who really articulate the idea that taking the Lord's name in vain was very much so like taking the oath to be an ambassador and you represent the kingdom of God to the world and not falsifying that representation. Right. Which is totally different, like you said, from what you get in in traditional Sunday school interpretation of that verse. Right. Or even like a marriage. Like when my wife married me, she took on my last name. Don't take on the name of Dean and act like you're not my wife. Right. That's going to create all types of confusion. And I think that's what happens here. Here you have a, a preacher who's claiming to be a Christian, and if he was, wouldn't be abusing his wife. But because he's he's taken on that name in vain, Christian in name only, and behaving like a heathen, I think he really, really uh, hampered the, the name of Christ. I, I would agree. And I think he, he did some extensive damage to her, mm-hmm. not just the physical and emotional coming from the abuse, but also the position from which the abuse is coming from. Because, you know, if somebody's getting abused and it's in the name of someone else, you typically turn and despise that person that, that, that it's being done in the name of you, you follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge. I mean, not only does she already have issues in her heart from growing up in a, in a Christian home, but not liking it. Now she's getting abused by someone that claims to carry the name of Christ. That's causing her pain. As if I was the enemy, that is a clear door to come in and exploit. I mean, it's super easy. And, and, and we see in a bunch of her writings later that she's got an issue with Christianity. It might be because of this. I mean, think about that for a moment. What if that's, what if that's true? I know our listeners probably, we haven't gone into the details of the effectiveness of the Bailey campaign. Right. But what if everything she was able to accomplish stemmed from a violation of herself by means of a Christian and fueled the hatred that she had for Christianity? One person. Yeah. I mean, people talk about, I can't make a big impact, you know, in the world. I'm only one person. I can't really do much. 
it is fascinating I me mean, when you study the story of history, how often you see one person making a significant difference. Yeah. I mean, we have four one persons right here. Right. All in their own lane that have significant impact on humanity. But imagine if, if Alice's husband would have loved her and nurtured her the way that a husband is supposed to. Right. Put in padded, padded steps. And, and I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like the joke that keeps giving. It gets worse. All right. Because he, she tried to stay with him through his abuse mm-hmm. until guess what? He threw her down a flight of steps. He really threw her down some steps. He threw her down some steps. And that for her, I don't mean to laugh. We're just talking about how horrible it is that this man damaged the psyche of his wife. Right. But you got to keep making stare jokes. So well, her abuse is not funny. <laughs> But there is a measure of humor in the situation. Lois, what the hell? Oh my God, Peter, are you okay? What the hell happened to the stairs? They're all slippery now. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm not laughing at the fact that she got (laughs) abused. But I also find it intriguing. I don't think it's accidental that an abusive husband who obviously has a spirit that that he is heated to to carry out that abuse actually in, uh, um, invokes him to carry out a specific type of abuse that she would, she would be traumatized by in a more extensive way, knowing her history. It's almost like it's a familiar spirit. Right. And I'm not to, I mean, eventually we'll get to the stuff that, that Bailey did, but I think that the trauma alone opens you up to spiritual influence. Because look at the Tavistock industry, okay. or the Tavistock Institute. I don't know why I say industry, but they they deal in trauma-based what? Mind control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we already know that a spirit is seen Bailey, you know, because she tried to kill herself. So she has connection with spirits. And then you have repeated abuse, repeated trauma from her husband opens her up to mind control, trauma-based mind control. That's That's a good insight, man. That's fascinating. It's nuts. I didn't think about it until you just laid it out like that. But yeah, so the enemy is going to capitalize. And especially if we believe that this idea comes from dark forces, you know, the doctrines of demons, that the Tavistock Institute would be built on the doctrines of demons. This is evidence of them performing trauma-based mind control before it was ever institutionalized. Even on their founders. Right. Or the people instrumental in their founding. Yeah, that. That that's diabolical right there. That's crazy. But yeah, so Bailey tried to stay married to her husband, tried to be the good wife until he threw her down stairs. And she was like, that's it. I can't keep doing this. So she left him, moved to America where she worked as a a writer and a teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where she ended up marrying foster Bailey, who she stayed married to the rest of her life. Okay. And this is where uh, Bailey became an editor of the Theosophical Society, the magazine for the Theosophical Society. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, joined the Theosophical Society. But one of the things that Bailey is really known for is channeling spirits. So we have, what is it, Dijois Cole, and um, I think there's one other one. I can't remember. But there was two specific entities that she was known to channel. And this ties all the way back to her childhood where she, you know, tried to commit suicide and was met by spirits. But for whatever reason, the Theosophic Society, Theosophical Society, didn't agree with either who Bailey said that she was channeling, because we know that um, 
Madame Blavatsky had some very specific rules and ideas on what she thought, you know, medium, who she thought mediums were connecting to and, and that type of thing. Okay. So when Bailey said, oh, I've been channeling, you know, Jijwa Cool or whoever this other entity was, it caused some tension with her and the Theosophical Society. So that's when they, they, they split ways. Okay. This is when she coined the new age because now she's not part of this uh, theosophy. She's part of the new age. And then in the midst of this, she, <clears throat> her and her husband, Foster Bailey, opened up the Lucifer Publishing Company. There it is. Yep. That, that's, that should be the, the, red, the red beacon. <laughs> and it was because they were Luci uh, Lucifer Publishing Company that her and her husband ran. And they, they printed out like theosophical stuff, you know, esoteric um, newspapers and things like that. But right, they right. wanted they wanted to get involved with the United Nations. Okay. But Lucifer Publishing Company is a little bit on the nose. It's kind of ironic for the United Nations. It is. Because like, when I hear that, I don't think political entity. Lucifer Publishing or no, United, United Nations? United Nations. Okay. I don't, I don't immediately think political entity. As soon as I hear United Nations, I think I think Luciferian Satan synagogue of Satan globalists, because that whole idea has been constantly uh, reiterated throughout history. The idea of one world government. I mean, you could track that all the way back to Nimrod. Right. That's Book of Genesis, and they keep retrying this idea over and over and over. Before mm -hmm. it's the UN, it's the League of Nations. Yep. You know, before that, it's another group. We still have <laughs> massive treaties now of of sections of people. We we've, we've got NATO. We got. And we don't have the Warsaw Pact anymore. That dissolved. But we we have these sections of countries that are still trying to commingle and come together into larger regions and groups ultimately pushing towards a one world order. So when I hear UN, I immediately think latest iteration of a Luciferian program. Well, I think you should, but I don't think very many people do think that. I'm weird. <laughs> so, so it doesn't strike me as odd that she would come and say, hey, let, let's partner up. Right. And and it's not that they disagreed in, in ideologies, as, as you'll see. I just think that the United Nations trying to to work in the dark a little bit more was like, eh, we can do this, but you're going to have to change the name. Which I believe she did, right? Yeah, it's now Lucius Trust. Right. Not Lucifer right. Publishing Company. And that should throw people hot off the trail. Right. And it's really funny because if you look up, I think it's on the UN uh, website where they talk about why they named it Lucius Trust. And they were like, well, the person bef that opened, it was never actually called because they use clever wordplay. Sorry, okay. I, I know I'm a little sporadic there. C clever wordplay. They go, it was never called Lucifer Trust. It was called Lucifer Publishing Company. I'm like, oh, that makes all the, like, right. like the issue is with trust and not publishing company. Right. Isn't but, it though? <laughs> Isn't trust the main issue? Well, it should be. Right. But then they go on to explain that, oh, the founder really had an affinity for fallen angels and we wanted that to be captured in the name. That's why it's Lucius Trust. Oh, that seems safe. So I'm like, wait, so you're like, oh, it was never called Lucifer Trust, but because of what the founder believed, we named it Lucius Trust. I was like, you guys aren't clever. It's called Lucius Trust, so people don't realize off the bat what it is. Right. Isn't their address like 666 Wall Street or something like that? I heard that it used to be, but okay. now it's like 866 or something. It's it's weird. They've really tried to 
to step away from the the idea of Lucifer. And I don't know if it's because of what happened with anti LeVay, Anton LeVay, but we'll get into that later. Okay. Um, but yeah, they they absorbed it and they're like, oh, we got to change this stuff because now people are not, are not liking us because of our name. Hmm. It's pretty, it, it's interesting. So uh, Lucius Trust was run by Alice first. And then I believe Alice passed away before her husband. So Foster Bailey ran it. And Foster Bailey's an interesting character simply because no one knows anything about him. Smart man. Yeah. But there's no way that you run Lucius Trust. You're married to Alice Bailey, who's channeling spirits. And I believe his daughter runs it now after he died. But you're not put in that position and doing nothing. But it's interesting that nothing comes up when you try to find out any information about Foster. So that that, that was just interesting to me. Hmm. That's, uh, yeah, that's curious. It is. But Lucius Trust, they print all the UN propaganda. So they're still like a publishing company, even though they changed the name to Trust. And then they do a bunch of stuff, but a big part of it is publishing, and they publish the UN propaganda. But also... So so wait, so we're talking about stuff like uh, sustainability goals. Yeah, like Agenda 2030 and all that stuff is run through Lucius Trust. Right, so when we see it on the internet and we see publications, that stuff's getting passed through Lucifer Trust, right? Lucius Trust. Lucius Trust, I'm sorry. It was never called Lucifer Trust. I got you. you know, I, was, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, so so that's what they're doing. Interesting. And still in the Bailey family, if I am correct. Okay. But that's not the worst of it. So there's other branches, other groups inside Lucius Trust. All right. So what one of the things is they have a satanic meditation room in the basement of the UN headquarters. They do not. They do. No. There's a there's a like public access meditation room for like the the interfaith movement, right? That anyone can go in there and it's got really really weird satanic iconography all over it. Okay. Really bizarre stuff. But Did that Did you go there? I've not been there. All right. But you can you can find the stuff on the internet. Got you. So there's all of that, but then there's also a lower level that the public is not accessible. It's still part of the meditation room, but not public. Okay. And you have a bunch of satanic iconography from a group that called itself Lucifer Publishing, and you have a room that's not accessible to the public, and no one knows why. Sounds a little bit sinister to me. Sounds like a secret society. Yeah. I don't know. Sketchy. But the three groups, there's even three groups inside Lucius Trust. So it's really interesting because a publishing company, you think that all they do is like print pamphlets. Right. That's but, what I would think. But as it moves to Lucius Trust, I don't I don't know exactly wh- why they adopted the name Trust. I don't know if part of that was because they did expand past just publishing. And I imagine a lot of publishing now is like internet publishing too. I doubt there's a whole lot of paper publishing. I was wondering if they actually created a trust. Possibly. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm not sure. But I do know that what was once Lucifer Publishing is now Luce, Lucius Trust and has these three what I would call sinister groups that fall underneath them. It's the Arcane School, the Triangles, and the World Goodwill. Hmm. So we talk, we're talking about architects of the new world order, right? The occult world order. Right. And you, like you said, the UN is the sinister satanic group. And I believe the last time I checked, their 17 sustainability goals of the 2030 agenda had 189 countries already sign on. And when you sign on to this agenda 2030, you have to agree with everything 
you're on board for all of it, 100% equal across the board. You don't, you don't get to dispute any of it if you sign up. And there's 189 countries who have signed up for this. Which is almost all the countries on the planet. Yeah. Because uh, I know there are a few countries that are not recognized by the UN. That's rude. Yeah, I don't think Taiwan is recognized. <laughs> okay. Because China's on, on the UN. Uh, I wonder whatever the, the power boards are, like they have veto power. I don't know. Yeah, like United States, China, the, Russia. There's right. a few other groups I think have veto power. Okay. Um, and if if memory serves me correctly, in order for a nation to be admitted, these these countries have to sign off on it. Okay. And China's not going to ever sign off on Taiwan being recognized as its own independent country. Okay, that makes sense. The United States will. Right. <laughs> but but they won't. So, yeah, they, they can't be recognized. I think there's probably a, a couple other countries. Um, but it's got to be maybe like a handful. Uh, but that's to say that that if it's only like a handful of countries that are not recognized, you know, like five or less, mm-hmm. we got to be talking like 98%, if not higher. It has got to be a large portion of Almost the world. Almost everyone right. has agreed to these. And this, these groupings in the Lucius Trust belong to the UN. So when you say satanic, like we're going to go into some of the stuff that they talk about. And th- this is why it's alarming. The architects of the new world, new occult order. And, and this is it. The Arcane School. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay. This was all pretty interesting. And I got I to gotta do a shout out to Dangerous World Podcast. Oh, you mean Ryan Dean? Yeah, Ryan Dean. Okay. Uh, he had mentioned a bunch of this. And he, it's funny because he's on this like Lucius Trust UN kick right now. Okay. And he's always like, he every time he, he brings it up, he's like, well, I hope my listeners aren't tired of it. And I'm trying to prep for the episode going, give me more. Right, right, I, right. <laughs> I need more information. Right. So I actually heard about these three these three sections of Lucius Trust from his podcast. Okay. So thought he deserved a shout out. But yeah, the Arcane School. And this stuff I pulled directly from Lucius Trust website. Links will be in the show notes. But it says that training for the New Age Disciple is provided by the Arcane School. Okay. The principles of the Ageless Wisdom are presented through esoteric meditation, study, and service as a way of life. Interesting. Seems problematic. It does. So I'm going to read some of this. Uh, like there's a, there's a great invocation, and this is the affirmation of a disciple. I'm not by any means claiming to be a disciple or trying to actually, um, uh, what is it? In, in, Indoctrinate. Well, I don't want to say that, not that, but if you're the great invocation is trying to invoke something. I'm not trying to invoke anything with the great invocation. Okay. I'm just repeating what they actually say. I, I just want that out there because I'm not you. a disciple. I'm not evoking nobody up in this piece. Right, right, right. <laughs> so the affirmation of the disciple, you, uh, it is, I am a point of light within a greater light. I'm a strand of loving energy within a stream of love divine. I am a point of sacrificial fire, focused within the fiery will of God, and thus I stand. I am a way by which men may achieve. I am a source of strength, enabling them to stand. I am a beam of light shining upon their way, and thus I I stand and standing thus resolve and tread this way, the ways of men and know the ways of God. And thus I stand. So those are the affirmations of a disciple. If you're going to train in the arcane school of new age ism, 
and the ageless wisdom is presented through esoteric meditation. Mm. Sounds not good. <laughs> Especially connected to a political movement like the UN, right? Right. So we have to look at this isn't just a small group of arcane school. This is a a new age school attached to the political system that's trying to have its fingers in every nation in the world. Right. Like that has to be the backdrop of this. So the the second part or the second grouping within the Lucius Trust is the triangles. This already sounds ominous. If you know anything about secret societies and and iconography, and it reminded me of like the nine angles. I was like the triangles. Hmm. So, I mean, maybe not. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Let's let's see what they have to say for themselves. It says triangles is a service activity using the power of thought and of prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. Okay. <laughs> Three people form a triangle. All right. Interesting. I, I can still track. <laughs> Three people agree to link and thought each day. Here's the problem. Using the great invocation, a world prayer, they visualize energies of light and goodwill circulating through the three focal points of their triangle and pouring out through the network of triangles surrounding the planet. Participants imagine the hearts and minds of the human family being irradiated with light and goodwill, strengthening all that is good and true and of beauty in the world. Now that language in the end kind of convinces you that, hey, there's no, like the, the penguins from Madagascar. Mm -hmm. You didn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the stuff that we said above. But it says that you link each day using the great invocation. So that had me asking, all right, what's the great invocation? Lucis Trust, please enlighten me. And this is scary because there's, there's videos on YouTube and you can find clips. They open some of the United Nations meetings like this. Like this is a frequently used invocation and especially daily using the great invocation. You have triangles and triangles of people all over the world. This is what they're praying for, the political system that tells us to trust the science is praying this in groups of three all over the world every day. Okay. So what it says is important, right? They say from the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth from the point of love within the heart of God. Let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May the coming one return to earth. I'm blinking as loud as I can right now. Yeah, me too. Hold and, on a minute. What the deuce? Yeah, there we go. exactly. So we got love and mind and life and may the coming one return to earth. All right. Not okay. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men. The purpose which the masters know and serve from the center, which we call the race of men. Let the plane of love and light work out and may it seal the door where de evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. So when you, when you read that initially, I don't think it sounds that bad. There's a lot that sounds nice and warm and love and light and, and all of that. Be honest with you. It almost sounds Christian. Okay. I mean, let let the the love of God it flow from your mind into the minds of everyone else. Yeah, 
doesn't sound so bad. No, not on the surface. It doesn't. All right. So where does it go off, off the rails? For me, it's a huge place to hit the brakes. Let the coming one return to earth. I want to know who the coming one is. I'm asking to come back. Fair enough. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. Now, I'm going to take a, a, a wild gander and suggest that since this is being done through a company that carries the namesake of Lucifer, that the coming one is probably <laughs> not Yeshua. Probably not. Now, what it did invoke in my mind was the fact that for non-Christian people, the concept of a Messiah is equivalent to what Christians would call the the Antichrist or the replacement Christ. Right. What they think is their coming one is what we would think of as an Antichrist. Right. And if that's the case, saying let the let let that one come back mm-hmm. throws my mind to I believe it's Revelation. Okay. Where the angel talks about the Antichrist. And says the one who is and is not and is yet to come. Uh, the one who was and is not and yet is yet to come. Okay. It's a very weird little statement. Right. You're like, what? That will you just tell me his name is Bob, please? <laughs> you tell me it's Bob, I, I know what to look for. But this this ain't helping. Right. Until you start putting pieces together. And apparently, um, the the idea is that the Antichrist is not just a new person. Right, someone who's already existed in past, mm-hmm. resurrected from the dead, and comes back to earth. Yeah, which would make perfect sense if you need to replicate Christ's miracles as part of this grand deception. Well, it you, says you have to have a death, burial, resurrection type of type of experience and motif. Right, and it would make perfect sense where um, this being has died, comes back to life shows up on the planet and is claiming to be Christ. Right. Fits the model, right? Mm-hmm. Here she is making the same basic claim. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't say just let the coming one come. It says return. Right. Which implies that he's, they've already been here. Right. That's why when when looking at this stuff, you got to click on that, that logic gauge and you be do. like, this is interesting. You got to have discernment. Yeah. You got to. It's, it's crazy. And the thing, again... UN, 189 nations. Like, this is nuts. Who is it that they, I mean, I know we answered, but just that thought, like, who are we asking to come in? That the whole world is praying for Lucifer to come back? What's more irritating to me is that if this is an invocation that happens at UN gatherings, mind you, the UN is headquartered in the United States, on land, given to it by... Uh, uh, Rockefeller that used to be a slaughterhouse. So that land has got blood on it to begin with. Right. Okay. And it becomes the, the land that the United Nations headquarters is built on in a country that supposedly prides itself on being anti-religious. Yep. What are all these people doing praying? It's supposed to be science and science alone. Right. Who else is praying in these, these groups? Mm-hmm. And when I say who else, what I'm really trying to say is who in the U.S. delegation is praying? Yeah. I thought we were supposed to have separation of church and state. Right. This is this is not that. At all. <laughs> at all, at all. Nowhere close. Right. 
It's got me. It's got me scratching my head, going, "Hey, who's judging today?" <laughs> but whoever it is, we got to revoke their rights, mm-hmm. their license, or whatever, because this makes absolutely no sense. No. There's, yeah, there's definitely something else going on beyond what they tell us. Right. But it does just to, I guess, kind of plug a further or a later show that we're going to do. This is the Prussian education system that we talked about. How the the upper tier, you know, there's three tiers. There's the ha- the 0.5%, there's the 4%, and then the 95%, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the 0.5% get a different education than even the 4%. But the 95% get a separate education from the first two. And it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to look and be like all of these people, like the United Nations, right? The um, uh, World Health Organization mm-hmm. have all been touting for the past couple of years, trust the science. Right. There's nothing but science. Denying religious exemptions because tr- science trumps everything else. The whole time this institution is praying for the coming one to come or the, the coming one to return. Which means at the same time, this institution is engaged in a non-scientific religious activity. Absolutely. Sounds quasi hypocritical, Mm -hmm. but that we're just useless eaters. So we don't know any better. Right. So we got to believe the scientism it's garbage, but that takes us to the third group of the Lucius trust. This one was almost, it seemed too pointless to even bring up until the last line of what they say about themselves. Okay. So it says, goodwill is one of the most basic spiritual qualities of a human being and the great untapped resource at the heart of every human community. It's just a lot of this blah, blah, blah stuff, right? Very, right, very right. disarming. Right. The energy is potentially a powerful force of social change, yet it's the pow- its power remains largely unrecognized and underutilized. All right, cool, whatever, goodwill. We all need to be nice to each other. Here's the problem. World goodwill fosters understanding of this energy and the rule and playing in the development of a new humanity. So we have the great invocation asking for the the coming one to return. And it talks about uh, from the center, which we uh, call the race of men, we go back to Blavatsky and the root races, right? Seven root races and moving from the Europeans to the Nova men and the star children. And now this world goodwill is trying to foster an understanding and energy of developing a new humanity. And there it is. There it is. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. When you take it all into account, mm-hmm. like this is major. We yeah. haven't even shifted gears yet on Bailey. Uh-uh. Because Bailey's got a lot yeah, that there's, she did. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she she wrote some books. Did she write like 24 She wrote 24, yeah. Okay. But I have a couple here. The last one I think is interesting. Plays right into what we were saying about the goodwill. She wrote things like uh, The Consciousness of the Atom, The Destiny of the Nation, Discipleship in the New Age. So all that stuff plugs in to the Lucius Trust. But Initiation, Human and Solar. Okay. Which again ties back, you know, new humanity, star children, like the root races of theosophy. Like it's crazy. This stuff is, it's a pretty direct line. Right. Right. It, it, it's interesting. So she also had a 10 point plan. You know about the 10 point plan, don't you? 
I do. Um, I was going to say before we got to that. Okay, my bad. Um, one of the things that I, I think is important to recognize about Bailey is Bailey really helps to codify Luciferianism and bring it into vogue. Okay. Um, she she wrote, like we were talking about, the 24 um, different uh, literary pieces. Big on education. Big on infiltrating the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one that that really popularized the idea. I think she coined it and popularized the idea of seven spheres of influence in a culture and actually taking over those spheres. Like the, the seven mountains or whatever that's touted around in churches? Yes, but that is the, unfortunately, um, that idea is the Christianized version of Bailey's theology, mm-hmm. uh, which is really dangerous, really, really dangerous. Because uh, her whole idea was we would we would create small groups that would infiltrate these various sectors of society. Uh, what is it? Uh, family, church, government, arts and entertainment, media, news, uh, education. I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that was. I think that's all of them. Oh, and business. Okay, can can I stop you right there? Why? Well, no, because got started. No, I know. Cause, cause, but that, uh, that goes into something that we're going to get into later. Let me, let me get through the, I'm just going to read through the 10 points real quick and then we can, Uh, we can go into influence. uh, No, cause the otherwise, uh, otherwise we're going to be doing it twice. Oh, fine. This, this will just be quick. So Alice Bailey has a, a, a 10 point charter because she wants to infiltrate the church families and government. Right. That's what you were saying. Right. So we go into this in greater detail for those that are interested in episodes 16 and 17, if you want to check those out. Uh, But here I'm just going to read through them. So one, she wants to take God and prayer out of the education system. Two, reduce parental authority over children. Three, destroy the Judeo-Christian family structure or the traditional Christian family structure. Four, if sex is free, then make abortion legal and make it easy. Five, make divorce easy and legal. Free people from the concept of marriage for life. Six, make homosexuality an alternative lifestyle. Seven, debase art, make it run mad. Eight, use media to promote and change mindsets. Nine, create an interfaith movement. And 10, get governments to make all these law and to get the church to endorse these changes. So those are the 10. Hope you were paying attention. If you want more, again, check our episodes 16 and 17. We go into them in in great detail. But Robert Mueller, was, uh, who established the World Core Curriculum, said that his curriculum was based off of the writings of Alice Bailey. Right. So after the stuff we covered, that should be great concern. Again, touches on the Pre- Prussian educational model. We get a certain level, a level of education. Right, because Mueller wasn't just a, in, in a vacuum. Mueller became, uh, after establishing the Robert Mueller School of Education, that became the outpost for a document that I believe was was um, delivered to President Clinton and then Bush Jr. Right. I believe those, those were the two. I think you're right. Um, that be, basically became the the catalyst for the education reform packages that both of those presidents pushed through. Okay. And both of them had glowing things to say about Robert Mueller. Mm-hmm. And that ended up affecting our educational policies in our country. Like it's a direct plumb line. Yeah, direct. And, and again, we can't forget the fact that 
it's not just Alice Bailey as a as a human entity coming up with stuff from her mind and just really really smart. It's Alice Bailey getting information from a quote unquote ascended master, the Tibetan, otherwise known as Dijuakul, who apparently telepathically communicated this stuff. I'm put telepathically in quotations because that's the way the world would describe it. Right. The way the the way that we would describe it biblically is that. It was done through occult satanic power. Yes. It was a demonic manifestation. That information was was transmitted to her by way of her demonic handler. And either through the unction of automatic writing, which is when a spirit actually takes over the body of someone that it possesses and writes for them, utilizing their physical body while that person is relatively unconscious. Uh, or if it was by means of direct communicative download where he's talking directly to her and she's pinning it. Either way, she got the doctrine of demons codified into a literary work. And that got passed down to Robert Mueller who said, Hey, this is great. I love this and built a a educational philosophy off of it and forwarded that to the president of the United States two sitting presidents of the United States. Right. That became the, the seed work for our educational policy for over a decade. Right. So we go from demons to Bailey to Mueller to the minds of our children. Right. That's a short line. Very, very short. And if people don't know who these people are we're talking about, that's even scarier mm-hmm. because they have their hands on the minds of our children. Right. We need well, to be well, aware. Y'all's children. I don't, I don't <laughs> You're working on it. Not earnestly. <laughs> Okay, so her influence goes far beyond just our education system. True. Because you were saying that the idea of the seven spheres of influence, right, that's unfortunately infiltrated the church and all of that? Mm-hmm. Was, it was really designed to, wonderful segue, by the way. Thanks for setting that up. No problem. But it was designed to, to create a, a, a campaign by which society could be infiltrated and then hijacked. Okay. And ultimately, the purpose of uh, these various institutions could be usurped in order to bring about Luciferianism into the the open. Okay. And this was huge because it really involved putting seed groups into these various sectors and allowing them to take over and establish basically dominionism. Problem is um, that also crept over into the church. And so we put a nice little Christian spin on it. We called it Seven Mountain Mandate. And the church began to replicate the agenda of Alice Bailey, which fits perfectly with what she said she wanted to do. You got to get these changes made. You need the church to endorse it. Right. It was part of her 10 point plan. Yep. Number 10. Yeah. So none of this is is lost on me. Right. And there were a lot of things that she said she wanted to do. You know, one of the books she was writing, I believe one of the guys was quoting this, uh, a treaty on white magic. I believe that she talked about several things that would be done. One of those things being, changing the cultural mind through music. Okay. Which is very, very interesting. You know, if you look at some of these Eastern religions that were influenced by, by, um, by Blavatsky and then by Bailey, Mm -hmm. some of the things that are common in that is changing the, the aura, changing the mind and doing that through, excuse me, rogue chanting. That chanting is musical. It has a frequency to it. 
we know scientifically that you can change the minds and affect people by frequency manipulation all the way down to our emotional state. Every emotion that we have has a corresponding frequencies to it. Okay. And that I believe it was DARPA that was actually working on developing a weapon, a directed energy weapon that can manipulate the cognitive state of a group of people for mass control. Right. Cause if you project, because certain emotional states have a frequency, if you're able to project that frequency onto a person, it evokes that emotional state. Right. And they were using that to create uh, destabilization and dissension in groups. You know, people wouldn't, un wouldn't understand why they were suddenly angry. Right. And then the CIA would move in on the coattails of that and insert propaganda directing or answering that question of why am I so angry with the people not realizing that their emotions have been manipulated physically through this directed energy weapon. Yep. That's crazy. But the same thing has basically happened through music. She talked about taking over using that new sound. There are musical artists that have talked about the effects that happen when certain bass notes and repetitive bass is introduced into a song, how it has a change, not just on your mental state, but on your physiology. So have you heard about the, the changing of frequency in music? A little bit. That, so right now, typically we tune to 440 hertz, right? For middle C? Yeah, but like if you get a, a tuner, not all of them even do it anymore, but they used to be that you could actually change the, the gigahertz or whatever to 440. And I know this because it was funny. I was in a band for a while, and every time I would tune up, I would fat thumb the arrow up on the hertz and the power button. Okay. And then everyone would tune off of me. So every week we'd get together and practice. And you guys would be off key? <laughs> no, we would be changing the actual megahertz at which we tuned in. Okay. So it was like uh, 449 or something like that before we realized, why does this just sound a little bit off? If I'm not mistaken, though, uh, uh, this might be a little over the heads for people who aren't musicians. But when you're tuning to 440, you're setting middle C. Middle C for 440? Right. I okay. think that's its natural harmonic resonance. Okay, to set a point. But there, there was an artist, again, shout out to Dangerous World podcast, Ryan Dean, but he was talking about an artist who had, if you tune to like 340 or mm -hmm. 540, that it actually changes and has a more direct impact on your emotional state. I haven't tried this. Uh, I don't want to say it's hokum, but there is some, some science and practice behind it. He said that, I can't remember if up or down is positive or negative, but the idea was that you could play a really sad song, but tune, you know, off of 340 and it would leave somebody feeling really happy at the end of it versus sad, despite what the song was actually structured for. That's interesting. And vice versa, you tune the other way and you play a really happy song and you're sad at the end of it for no reason. Interesting. And he released a video on YouTube that this was possible and he ended up suiciding himself shortly after. Yeah, I could believe that. <laughs> yeah, that's the type of information they don't they don't want to let out, right? And yeah. I've I've heard it say that somewhere along the lines, we actually used to to tune at, at a different center than four forty. Okay, I can't remember when, but at some point that shifted. I the thought just came to mind maybe Elvis because he was the first one to elicit like mass crowd hysteria. Mm -hmm. It's possible. I'm not saying for sure it's possible that that could have been the point of transition because then after that you see mass hysteria from people that practice music. But there actually was a turning point in which we go, oh, well, let's tune everyone to this because it's going to have a specific impact on society. That's that's really interesting, especially when you take into the account the idea 
of uh, your natural harmonic resonance. Okay. You have this look on your face. For those listening that don't know what, exactly what you're talking explain, about. Yeah. But the look on your face was great. Um, natural harmonic resonance, I believe, is, is the the natural resonating or vibrational frequency that an object has at rest. Okay. Um, when you you when you alter that or you hit that, you can cause destabilization in that object. Now, this seems like hokum, what I just said. People mm-hmm. are like, what? I don't get it. Okay, right. two practical examples where we see this manifested. When you see the opera singer sing and she breaks the glass. Okay. It's because the frequency of that note that she's bellowing out or he, uh, the, the frequency that they are bellowing out mm-hmm. is the natural resonating frequency of that glass. And when it's matched, the glass shatters. Interesting. So something. Okay. I was. I just had a couple other examples. Um, there was a, a a scientist on an old TV show, kind of like before Bill Nye, mm-hmm. and he did a whole breakdown on the Battle of Jericho, and gave like a scientific explanation on why God's plan to march around the city might have actually worked. From a from a physics perspective. From yeah. Yeah, which is actually pretty cool. Right, but then he also says that there's several places that have old bridges or whatever that say that horses aren't allowed on them. Same, same issue. Same principle because it sends those vibrations through the bridge and be, just the way that they're set up, you hit that harmonic resonance and the bridge will literally come apart. That was the next example I was going to give. Oh, okay. My bad. No, because there, there are pictures of some of these bridges looking like Laffy Taffy and they're just like waves and they're moving and you're like, that's a concrete steel reinforced bridge. Mm-hmm. What is it doing? Uh, many times this happens like over a, a body of water where the wind is coming in and it comes in at a certain frequency and it destabilizes the bridge because it's the natural resonating frequency of that bridge. So it's not like, like you would think if you weren't aware of this concept, it's not the wind is blowing so hard that it's just tearing the yeah, no. concrete apart, no. but it's the actual frequency that it hits passing over and under the bridge. Yes. That's nuts. They had it where, uh, I, I forget what bridge this was. Um, they had to limit the amount of people that could walk across this bridge because as the people were going and their footsteps were going, all of these people and their footsteps began to match the resonating frequency of the bridge and it started to collapse and they had to clear the bridge. That's nuts. Yeah, this is just, this is power of physics. Right. Like crazy. If you can do that with concrete and steel, Imagine what you can do inside the soul of a human being. Huh. If you get the right frequency. Yeah. Or imagine what sort of destruction you can do if you augment and change or shift their frequency. Yeah, that's interesting. Like See, not just lot- utter destruction, but um, alteration. Yeah. Like there are, uh, you, you see this in uh, some third world countries where they're doing certain chants and mantras. You know, they got the ba- the drums and all of that. Right. Okay. And, and they're, probably around a fire or something like that. And they've got a specific religious chant that they're doing. That's not by accident. The drum beat creates a frequency. Your body tends to, to move over to whatever frequency it's being uh, accosted with. So just like the emotional frequency will change depending on what's being projected. 
Mm -hmm. which is like if you're in the presence of an angry person, you're more inclined to get angry because you're being presented with that frequency. Yeah, but they've even noted with too much bass that you can change the biorhythms of a person. You can change their heart rate. Really? Yeah, you hit them with too much bass, that boom, boom, and that repetitive nature of it not only changes the heart, it has a psychological impact that it shifts the mind. That's crazy. It's when you start to understand how God created human beings, we're like really, really cool. Like when the Bible says fearfully and wonderfully made, uh -huh. it's not talking about them extra pounds, <laughs> <laughs> but our structure is actually quite fascinating. And we have an enemy that is well aware of that and utilizes that structure to, to exploit um, our nature in order to destroy us. And most of us are, are too ignorant of that. Right, and that's not an accident either. Right, we play we play right into it. But uh, so the the point of this divergence was you were saying Alice Bailey wanted to use music to change to bring culture. about that natural shift in culture. Okay, and this is what we see even happening. You see this right before us in like Super Bowl. You can clearly see that the Super Bowl is owned by Luciferians. Right. The music, the performance, the light, again, light is frequency, mm -hmm. the shifting of those light patterns, the, the musical notes that are coming out, all of this is designed to shift the culture. Not just by the lyrics alone. The actual music has a mag, I don't want to say magnetic, a magnanimous, maybe that's right. I'm not sure. I'm going to go I, with it. Okay. We'll have to hear back from our audience to tell me it was wrong. <laughs> yeah, but it, it has a magnanimous impact on our personhood, individually and as a culture. And these end up becoming mass rituals. That's crazy. And none of that is by accident. It all comes back to these occult architects. Right. There's a reason why our, our culture has adopted this. Don't forget, because we're, we're talking about the United States. We can't forget that we're in a country whose government freely welcomed all pagan gods right. and put it on their buildings, mm -hmm. on, on the declaration for those buildings, not the declaration of independence, but when they were, when they were, uh, when they were actually, what's the, what's the word called? Dedicating these right. buildings, the architecture and everything in the Capitol. Yep. Yep. It, it was on there. So yeah, we have invited gods to come into our Capitol building. We've invited guys to come into our capital city. And apparently uh, we keep praying for somebody to show up. We do. Mm -mm. And those spirits here. Yeah. And they do show up. Yeah. And now we have to deal with the ramifications of that. Yeah, it's all intentional. So you you also talked about, well, you mentioned the, the infil infiltration of the church with the Seven Mountain Mandate and all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, have you heard of the book, The Secret? I have. Okay. Oprah talks about it, you know, yeah. thinks it's fantastic. It's the basis of the law of attraction, right? Yeah, which I believe Bailey was the author of, the law of attraction. Yeah. And so the book, The Secret, is based off of Bailey's writings. Interesting. The law of attraction has also infiltrated the church. If you, if now I don't want to disparage any churches or whatever, but if you're doing vision boards and things like this, you have to be very careful because this is following in line with the law of attraction says. Let's just take it a step further. You don't have to be careful. You have to stop doing that. Okay. Because that is not something that is um, from the kingdom of God. Right. That was actually, like you said, 
uh, instituted. It's a manifestation of what Bailey wrote. So these are demonic. <laughs> what do you want to call them? These are demonic arts and crafts. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, they already wrote the book. Now this is the workshop. Yeah. And this is the homework and people are taking it home and saying, hey, this is awesome. And no, it's really not. Uh-uh. You know, the whole name and claim it, declarative statements. Right. Blab it, grab it. Right. Um, the whole positive thinking. Mm-hmm. All of that has its stem from Bailey's work. Right. The power of positivity and all of that. Yeah. So um, you sent me a video a while back. Do you remember the guy's name that did a, a sermon on this? Taught about the law of attraction? No. Goldman, maybe. Do you remember that? I, I could be getting the name wrong. Anyway. Oh, like a few weeks ago? Yeah. You got I send you so much stuff. I know. <laughs> you got to redirect my You know, mind. if you didn't send me as many TikTok videos, maybe it'd be easier to keep track of the good stuff you send me. Or if you had a better system, you could actually appreciate the TikTok videos. Because maybe, maybe this is where I found this gentleman. Did you ever consider that? Was it TikTok? No, it was from TikTok. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Uh, Byron Golden. Okay, yeah. So I'll I'll post that in the uh, in the show notes. If any if anybody's interested, or you maybe think that this stuff is happening in your church and you, and you're not sure, he does a really good breakdown on it. Yeah, yeah, and, he did. And why some aspects actually come from a biblical place and they practically work, but to not buy into the the secret, the law of attraction, and all of that. Uh, she also did a book. Uh, wasn't it the power of I am? Yes, she did that too. Um, it, you hear that a lot of places. Yeah. This whole, these whole I am statements. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> wow. As soon as I said that, immediately Eminem just popped into my mind. Really? Because I am whatever you say I am. And if I wasn't, then why would I say I am? In the paper, the news, every day I am. Radio won't even play my jam. Because I am whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, why do I know that? I can't this is, this is so irritating. I Small tangent. Uh-huh. I've actually been thinking about, now that we have a recording set up, I really want to record scripture in 4-4 time. Okay. Like me reading it, or anybody, really. If, if there's anyone out there that's interested, record yourself reading scripture in 4-4 time, mm-hmm. but then to have an app where you can play scripture over top of fat beats or whatever, and it hits, Right. Oh, that'd be interesting. So it's not just random scripture, but it gives you like uh You'd have to do it in four four time and you'd also have to do it at a certain uh beat, beats per minute. Right. So that you could sync it up to whatever that track would be. But I'd also want it to cause now with the ability, like Mike Winger listens to podcast. If you ever listen to us, he'd be listening to it at one point five or two times faster than it should be. So you could actually change beats per minute without changing the the auditory quality of the reading. Okay. So you could maybe play it to something that was nice and slow, or maybe you wanted to hit it something fast and it's rocking and speed it up. It could be a really cool way to add music and that rhythm to help you remember scripture. Okay. That's not a bad idea. So that's in my back pocket. If I can get funding or anyone to help me out with that, I think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's not bad. But yeah. These I am statements show up a lot. I think Joel Osteen, uh, has, has got teachings on I am. He, he has a book called The Power of I Am. Okay. Which is really dangerous coming from a Christian place because we think I am that I am, that we're talking about God. We're talking about the power of the great I am. That's not what he's talking about. If you just say what you want, then the universe will bring it to you. 
You need a bigger smile. And you will be happy. <laughs> there you go. Now, now you're getting it. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of his books. And, and to tie it all the way back up, because we're talking about architects, we're saying that it's, it's intentional. That quote from Madame Blavatsky that said that you can bring things about by more intense and intelligent hallucinations can cause things to manifest in an objective way. That's, I mean, these people, these massive um, preachers are, are writing books based off of the illogical rantings of people that are long gone and they probably don't even know it. Or they might. They might. That'd be even scarier if, right. they, if they do actually know it. But as you were talking about that, the, the thing that I thought about what Blavatsky said, that becomes the foundation for sex magic. Really? Yeah. Not that I know the formula. <laughs> do tell. <laughs> I was doing do you know some. The, the ins and the outs. Of I was conducting some some independent research with a, a local, uh, <laughs> shall we say, resident. <laughs> you know, a student aide, if you will. And she, I mean, they was helping me out. <laughs> oh, no, uh, okay. So the idea is that uh, when you're performing a sex magic ritual. Mm -hmm. one of the things that you're trying to do is to bring into uh, to concretion that which you desire. And to do that, you have to focus intently on that thing. And you need to utilize orgasmic power to feed a spirit that will help bring that into concretion for you. Interesting. So focus is incredibly important. Like both parties have to focus intently on that specific thing that they're trying to accomplish. Huh. That's crazy. I didn't know that about sex magic. Yeah, well, you know, I ride the roads a lot. And <laughs> I have time to pick up these tidbits of information at various truck stops. That's funny. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? I know, tidbits. I'm glad you didn't mess that one up. <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny. But that's a good teaser for part two. Yeah, I, I think we've covered a lot for part one. I think so. Um, so I would definitely encourage people, hey, come back for part two where we will get into uh, Aleister Crowley and Anton LaVey, yes. the founder of the Church of Satan. You do not want to miss that. No, it's going to be a good one. So hopefully we've, uh, we've done a good job with the Ayala effect today, which is the, the need to sift through information in order to find meaning. We got to tie it. We, we can't just say, oh, look, you're living in a world by Satanist and everyone's praying for the coming leader and all of that. Because if we do that, all people are really going to end up hearing is this. And you don't want people hearing that. <laughs> we don't. No, people need to actually take this information, get it into their minds, and be able to apply it properly. Right. They got to be able to basically answer this fundamental question. And what fundamental question <laughs> is that that they should be able to answer? Well, <laughs> The fundamental question that's before us today is simply this. Listen, are the governments and society at large uh, truly just, you know, randomly and freely plotting their way through history? Or are they actually being led and scripted? Are they following an ancient architectural plan laid down by a select few occultists from the not-so-distant past? It might be easy to think that especially here in the United States, that we are the land of the free, mm -hmm. that we have the liberty to go 
freely unmolested on our way. But recent events would show otherwise. <laughs> right. And just a little peeking under the cover, you know, a little peeling back of a layer or two and putting the magnifying glass to things would show we're not as free as we like to think we are. You're right. Our society is being and has been uh, directed by the hidden hand. And for those who don't know what that phrase means, the hidden hand is one of those um, euphorisms, if you will, uh, for Luciferian activity. Mm -hmm. The idea that Lucifer wants to remain to a certain degree hidden until all plans are put into effect to which then he wants to take full center stage and get all the glory that he can. Right. But in order to see, in order to deceive and bring into bondage, the, the, the inhabitants of earth, there has to be a clandestine agenda carried out behind the backs of people. Cause most people, if they really knew what was going on, they would resist. Right. Absolutely. And you, he doesn't want that level of resistance. So you, you slowly goad people into compliance. Mm -hmm. You invoke agendas and closed door meetings and private sessions, not open to the public because, you know, for political protection and, you know, to protect the, the interest of certain global entities and geopolitical, you know, interests, right? You don't tell the public what's really happened. It's for their own good, don't you know? Yeah, for but, their own good. I mean, you guys are too busy. You got too much going on. Let us super smart politicians handle it, you peasant. Right. To know all the people that were listed in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, oh, that would be too traumatic. For the public. For the public to we gotta know. We got to seal this. Which ones of their leaders have been molesting children. We, we can't have that. You can't know that. No. For your, for your own safety. I need you to focus on The Bachelor. And if you're looking for someone to do, to direct some of your hatred for child abuse, we'll give you a rapper. We'll give you a musician. I don't know. We'll say, um, I don't know, maybe Robert Kelly. Okay? <laughs> that should help, you know, calm things down a bit. Yeah, for sure. For well, sure. We don't need you talking about Prince Andrew. We don't need you looking into the Clintons. We don't need you asking too many questions about other leaders, Trudeau and, and Gates and any of these other folk that seem to be on the, uh, the Child Abuse Express. What was the name of their plane? The the Lolita or something? No. Something like that. Is that yeah. it? Lolita or Nolita, Lolita, something like that. I don't know why. It sounds like an Eric Clapton song. <laughs> yeah, we don't need you asking Layla. those questions. <laughs> We don't need you asking those type of questions. We we just need y'all focused on the latest Drake album. Right. That's okay. all that's important. We need you focused on the Eminem re-release of previously released material for the second time. Right. Yeah, that's what you guys got to focus on. All we right. We're going to put Snoop Dogg in a need, movie. We need you to stay on TikTok to shorten your attention span so that when we change the subjects, your mind changes with it. I'm sorry. I was waiting. Uh, my TikTok hadn't changed. Uh, I was trying to swipe. That's a, that's a long cricket. I didn't realize I had to turn it back off. Somebody shut that that's guy That's why you stay over there and I stay here. TikToker. Uh, that's funny. They don't, they don't want you looking at any of that. They don't. And it's, crazy. Uh, this, it's important to wrap our minds around these concepts. It's important to do the research. Yeah. To go sure. back here and learn this type of stuff we're talking about. Uh, because these are the people that really mold and shape the public 
mine. Yeah. And it's important, but it can get, it can get scary. Like you got to go, what, what can we do about it? Right. Like yeah. once, once you shine the light on it. So once you shine the light and you realize there's cockroaches, you know, what do you do about it? Yeah. Cause this shifts the plat, this shifts the, the, the platform, the plateau. It does. Right. This, this, this totally shifts people's ground and it can make them feel shaky. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've been in a delusion, if you've been living in the matrix, waking up from that, like we saw with Neo is not a very clever, is not a very comfortable experience. It's not even, even tiny matrixes like matrices. <laughs> yes. I, I went to, like, to math class just for that. Like uh, Brad Pitt is an alpha male and you have to wake up to the reality that he's been dressing in drag for years is a painful experience. You have to wake up to the fact that Brad Pitt as an actor has been acting. Well, when you say it like that, I should have known. <laughs> right. But that's what we have to wake up to. Those realities. You're absolutely right. Right. We have to recognize them for what they are. Actors are not people that we can look up to. This is not a Christian nation that we can just hand over our free will and hope that benevolence is going to, to take over and and help everyone be united under the banner of brotherly love. Right. This is not a place where you celebrate celebrities. It's not. That's not what you should be doing. We're all, we should be celebrating Jesus Christ. That dude is the authentic dude. Yes. That's the alpha. In fact, I want to say he's the alpha male, but he didn't call himself the alpha male. This yeah. dude called himself the alpha and the omega male. That's totally <laughs> I, different. I like that. Yeah, that changes the dynamic a little bit. Right. I mean, you thought Amazon had A to Z. He had it first. Right. The alpha to <laughs> Omega male. This dude is who he is. He doesn't put on a front. He doesn't have to change. He doesn't bow to no one. He don't take no for an answer. This, this is the dude. That's the person you worship. That's the person you look up to. That's the person you celebrate. Well, celebrating these fake. Ah, uh, see. Ooh. Woo woo. <laughs> ah, got a little good to me. <laughs> Celebrating these inauthentic human beings is not what we were made to do. Right, not at all. The 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 world where you can just blindly trust the leaders that have been put before you, it it's not real. It's not the real world. Because the truth is You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. You got to obey the rules. You know, you would think you wouldn't have to say that every week. But you got to. You have to. You have to recondition the mind. We're under so much brainwashing. Yeah. You know, we're under this constant uh, ideology, this, this toxic ideology. that We can do whatever we want. You know, we don't have to obey. Right. If we had covered Aleister Crowley, I'd reflect on the fact that he, he talked about how disobedience is the highest aim. 
Right. Not obedience. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea that I'm free to do whatever I want. You know, that's like, that is such a non-Christian ethic. Like it's one that I'm constantly having to come to terms with in my own life. I have a tendency to do a lot of what I want. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit keeps asking me, so where in your life are you saying no? Yeah. Where are you ratcheting back your desire to do what you want? Hey, H HS, come on, baby. You trying to tell me that everything I want to do is bad? Yes. <laughs> is exactly what I'm telling you. I mean, we had this argument back and forth mm-hmm. and it was kind of crazy. Like he broke it down to take what you want to eat. I said, yeah. If I let you eat whatever you want to eat, you would kill yourself. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's, that's kind of dark, Lord. <laughs> He's like, what do you want right now? Uh, well, listen, I feel like this is a trap me. But if I had my way, I would love a large Sprite. And high C fruit punch mix. No <laughs> ice, please. I need it ice cold with a nice straw in there. Oh, Lord, that sounds delicious. <laughs> Do you know how many toxins are in that? I don't want to know. That's fine. Uh, he took me down the list just freely, like not even from a condemnation standpoint. What do you want to eat? If your eating habits, if left unchecked, would kill you. What do you think that says about the other aspects of your character. Right. And it is this whole idea. I know. I mean, I know we're not doing the next segment yet, um, but like, I mean, we could, we, we've got plenty of time left on <laughs> these people are loving it. They don't want us to stop. <laughs> Even like sexuality in, in culture today, the idea that if, if, if you have to repress any part of who you are, right. Mm-hmm. That it's dangerous. But CS Lewis, he actually went into that in mere Christianity. He's like, there's a difference between repression and suppression repression. You don't have a choice of repression is things that happen on a subconscious level due to trauma. It can happen, but that's not something you can't will yourself into repression. It's trauma based, but he's like suppression. That's something completely different. And that's all we're asking. Nobody's going to argue that you should live your life without suppressing your desires. I understand. I thought he was going to go a different direction. No, he, he went that direction. He's like, Anywhere you look, you have to suppress your desire somewhat. You have to pee. Cool. You can pee, but not right here. Go in that room and do it. So on some, le- <laughs> so on some level, you know, you're repressing, mm-hmm. you know, get up and getting up and going to work, working out, eating anything healthy. Any of those is actually, or it consists of you repressing some of your desires to do a greater good on some level. Yeah. It's really interesting how God has set this life up. Mm-hmm. Like I find myself asking Christ, like, okay, really, how'd you do it? Literally, how did you do it? You know, do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, you are King of Kings, Lord of Lords, here on this planet, and you've you're having to deal with humanity at its most guttural level. Mm-hmm. Not even here by accident. You, you got here in the timeline right on time, right? Mm-hmm. You're dealing with all the same stuff that I have to deal with in, in essence at its core, you know, not the same exact circumstances, but the same core things. Right. How'd you do it? How'd you say no? How'd you stop? 
How'd you maintain control? How'd you find the right words to say? How'd you know how to think correctly? How'd you know how to not be overstressed? How'd you know how to not turn to overeating? How'd you know how to not indulge with Mary Magdalene? How'd you know not to knock out your disciples when they got on your last nerves? Because them 12 <laughs> Negroes, I'm sure, got on his nerves at some point. How did you know? How, how'd you how'd you turn your body off when it says, please don't wake me up and get up and go fast? Yeah. How'd you go? How'd you go discipline yourself? And he's like, bam, that's it. Discipline. Discipline is it. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that is being extracted out of this world and creating weaker people. We don't really want to discipline ourselves. That's like a dirty word. And I'm starting to learn the value of it. It's important. Nobody likes it when you're in it, but it, it always feels better on the other side. Right, because it helps to reattenuate the mind. That's one of the things that uh, helps to develop that strong mental aptitude. You know, that clip we just played from, from uh, I always want to call it, what is it, Pandora? Yeah, but it's... Um, no, it's Avatar. Avatar. Yeah, but I always want to call it Pandora. Right. <laughs> uh, but that clip from Avatar, Stephen Lang, the guy who's talking, even if he doesn't talk, just his mere walk and presence shows you that he has discipline. Mm -hmm. And discipline actually in a odd sort of way is a weapon that allows you to not be manipulated or controlled. Right. It does not feel that way when you're in it. No, but, but on, it, on the other side, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting how the more discipline you can develop, the more freedom that you can in, enjoy. Yeah, I would agree. That's like an oxymoronic idea. Mm -hmm. And it, it shifts the mindset. You know, it's no wonder that here in the land of pleasure, we find ourselves moving towards less and less discipline and more and more apathy. And, and less and less enjoyment along with it. Right. Like it's not producing what everyone thinks it's going to produce. I don't see how it could when true pleasure is seated in God himself. And we're moving away from that as we, as we deny his existence. Kick him off his throne. And sit there ourselves and say, now I'm king, I'm God, and I get to do what I want. Right. It always, the argument always reminds me of a drug addict. How so? Because a drug addict is doing just what they want. They're mm -hmm. stealing money from their family because they want that next hit. That's what they want. Mm -hmm. Their life is just, it's, it's literally, the, you know, these ideas filled out to, or brought to full fruition. Their whole life is just dedicated to what they want the most. And what they want the most is that next hit and they are miserable and they'd rather be dead. Which is why I like what you said when, when you, you, you've said this before, uh, that God puts guardrails up for us, yeah. for our protection. He does. You know, ways that we can navigate. We've got these boundaries. Right. We have to have boundaries and we have to have rules. Right. Rules of engagement. We got three of them here for you. The first one is to educate yourself. First things first, know your war doctrine. This, this is the key. This is what allows you to develop that strong mental aptitude. Because we know that scripture tells us that we shouldn't get caught up in all these popular ideas, right? Right. Because in Isaiah, Isaiah 520 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing everything turned upside down. That is Luciferianism. Yes. The Bible doesn't phrase it that way. And I kind of wish it would be like, woe to, <laughs> woe to Luciferianism. Right. Look out for that crap. 
But that's essentially what's happening right now. Everything is being inverted. Mm -hmm. In fact, there is a phrase that occultists love, as above, so below. Yeah. That's an inversion. It's constantly trying to take what's up there and make it down here. But it is not as you as your will is in heaven, so let it be done here on earth. It's a it's the reflection is the inverse, right? Right. Interesting. And that's what we see happening mm. on almost every front. Yeah. Every front right now, we see this level of inversion. Yeah, the the power of the I am, right? Yeah. The the, the secret, the uh uh power of positivity, uh law of attraction, all that is distorting scripture. So I think that's why scripture warns us that we shouldn't add or take away scripture. It tells us this in Deuteronomy 4.2 and Revelation 22.18 through 19. It's the, it's the foundation of, of those verses is you, you've got to know it. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. But that's what Luciferianism does. That's what say, satanic doctrine does. Right. Is it takes this and inverts it, twists it, adds or takes away, changes it. Deception is what to take, to take away, Right. Did you decept? Yeah, you something? decept. Yeah, yeah. Ah, see what you did there to <laughs> me being tactic. I'm trying. I man. like that. Yeah, <clears throat> deception is to take away from. <laughs> I like that. I think scripture also anticipates the trends and the religions that try to deceive us, because 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us that Satan himself tries to come as an angel of light. Scripture commands us in, in Galatians six seven not to be deceived. So Satan's coming, he's going to look good, but we are commanded to not give in, not bow a knee. Now, I've always wondered about that. Not on the not bowing a knee part, but and wonders part, not the right word. I've always been intrigued. If uh, The caricature of Satan is a very, very Baphometian, you know, like the, the pan, the goddess pan. You know, we got the hooves and the, the horns and all of that. It's the horn goat god caricature of Satan in, in the West. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how we, we vision him. But scripture's like, yo, he doesn't, he's n- not only does he not come that way, he's not coming that way. <laughs> right. Okay. He comes as an angel of light. I was like, what you mean? He's just bright. No, imagine this dude sounds like Gabriel. Yeah. Not this deep, monstrous, demonic voice. None of that. <laughs> Literally sounds like Gabriel. Right. Peace. Hey, 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 don't be afraid. Listen, man, got a little, got a message for you. Something we talk about, right? Let's see you here struggling, everything you're doing. Listen, God doesn't want you to struggle. What he wants you to do is lift up your Bible. This is the Bible. You can do what it says you can do. You just hold it up there. Don't open it. Don't read it. You just make it look very pretty and then put it back on, on the Bible stand. That's what it's for. Yeah. It's to, it's to look good, but you're doing all right. You're doing the best you could. We love what you've been doing. Want you to do a little bit better. Hey, take some more time out for yourself. You're working a little too hard. Just need you. I don't know. Let's spend a little more time from the TV. Just relax a little bit. You got it. You're good. See that that particular approach would annoy me a little bit. It's a little bit too soft. But you you give me Al Pacino from Devil's Advocate. Not that I'm encouraging anyone to go out and watch this movie. <laughs> You you give me Al Pacino, and I'm I'm right there. I'm on board. Let's do it. You're on board with Al? Oh, yeah, we got this. I think that's such a great example of Satan coming as an angel of light. Which I think he part? nails it. Well, when he's presenting himself as an agent of good that's trying to improve uh, Keanu's life. Okay. 
you know, come down, look, I have all this stuff for you. I want you to work for me. I got all this money for you, this place that you can stay. See, for somebody like me, that's going to put me in eyes. Like, ain't nobody trying to give that away. Well, no, he worked for it. He earned it. Yeah, I'm not even trusting that. Where'd you find me? You gonna find me in Florida? You gonna find me down the gutter? You trying to offer me the world? Eh, seemed like a setup. Okay. But each person has their own, their own issue. Right. You know, their own shtick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that they got to deal with. Uh-huh. And Satan understands how to approach that. But the point that we're both making is that it's not the forthright evil approach. No, he's it's not, not. going to sound like that. Mm-mm. It's not like he's going to come in, kick the door open and be like, God sucks. You need to listen to me. I'm trying to help you out here. Right. I mean, because isn't that even one of the characteristics of like in the great invocation, the, the, the coming one to return, the Antichrist is that everyone's going to love him? Yeah. That's, that's scary. But it's also very, very real. Like, I get it. You know what I mean? Like I, I look at, well, you probably don't know what I mean because I haven't explained it yet. <laughs> okay, so here, here's one of the ideas that crossed my mind. I know we got to wrap this up. But here's one of the ideas that crossed my mind. I I used to like politics, like on the presidential level. Okay. And one of my favorite politicians was Bill Clinton. Not because of his political positions, but I really, really enjoyed his delivery. Like okay. this dude can sell an idea. And command control of a room. I saw him do it when he was when he was campaigning for Obama. Like he got up at the Democratic National Convention and pitched this whole thing, and the people were cheering. And this dude didn't even want to cheer. He didn't want to clap. So he stopped him. He was like, "Oh yeah, stop clapping. Unless we got more to cover." I was like, "Bro, <laughs> bro, you need your points. Like I need you to wait for a pause for applause. <laughs> Everybody knows this, right? You know, you get your claps in." And then we go on. Now he's like, stop. He's like, I, I got a point to make. I, I, America, you need to understand. I got a point. Just hold, hold your applause. Really. <laughs> really? This is good now. Okay. Now, according to the sessions, we got four points to make here. You know, he goes down and he makes it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this dude is smooth. That's crazy. Then I hear Obama get up and talk. And Obama doesn't have the poise and the the... He doesn't have the intellectual adeptness that Clinton had, in my opinion. I'm not saying he's not smart, but he doesn't have that level of it. Right. But what he had was a very charismatic approach that you just enjoyed listening to him. Right. No, it was crazy. It, it, it hit me in a different way. Did you ever watch the um, historic rap battles of history? No. Okay. You, I don't know. You might not like it, but they just pick these historic figures and then they'd make raps for them. Okay. And sometimes they were fictional characters like the Master Chief and somebody else, but they didn't presidents all the time. Okay. And super goofy, but actually a lot of work went into them. They're, they're good quality. If I okay. can find them, maybe, I, maybe I'll put them in the show notes, a couple of them. Okay. But there was one where they imitated Obama mm-hmm. because it was like Obama and I don't know, somebody else. And just imitating Obama's charisma, I was like, oh, I like that. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like it really, it had me stop and go, hold on. Why do I like what's being said? Because even in just a goofy rap battle, they, his uh, certain patterns of speech and the way that he communicated, I was like, yeah, I'm about that. Yeah. And listening to it in that context, I was like, now I'm concerned. And I have to re-listen to the other crap that he said. Because yeah, you want to believe it. It draws you in. You you like it. I, I do. And so here was the the takeaway. Because I had a Clinton and I had, I had an Obama and the first thing was, 
am I just sensitive to Democrats? <laughs> is that <laughs> is that my issue? And then the next thought was, here's the scary thing. What if the, the population is being slowly conditioned to get used to a certain type of delivery that the Antichrist will employ? What if the Antichrist has the intellectual style of a Bill Clinton and the suave nature of an Obama sprinkled with maybe the arrogant aspect of, of a Trump <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe the slightly goofy, but folksy aspect of a Bush jr. Okay. What if all of these presidents in their various ways of how they communicate is getting you used to Satan's ambassador who comes as an angel of light. I mean, he is not going to come with this whole dark agenda right in your face. Right. What if he sells it like Clinton? What if he has the smile of an Obama? What if he's telling you, I know all the best angels (laughs) we have. Listen, we can build a wall between us and God and we'll make God pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, it's possible. I know it. I got the best demons on it. We've made out the best deal. We've worked this thing all the way through. We've we've signed, we've dotted the T's, crossed our I's. We have checked everything, and we are going to get this through America, followed by Obama. Yes, we can. <laughs> Next thing you know, you at war with God, and you're like, I don't even know why I was here. Why are we fighting? Yep, that's it right there. Why go off on this huge, huge tangent? Because the only way you can effectively deal with this level of deception is if you have a concrete understanding of scripture. Right. Have to. And if you're anything like me, you probably don't like reading scripture. Yeah. I struggle with it. As much as I say we need to do it, I, I still struggle. I am trying to discipline myself to just get into it. I have to get through the scriptures boring. I have to get through the, I'm not going to get anything out of it. I have to get through the, I'm really too busy. Like, I just want a moment to myself. I don't want to have to do spiritual work on top of the actual work that I did, plus homework, plus personal work. I just, I need a break, okay? I'll get to it. You have to push through that. You have to build a relationship with Scripture, and not just with Scripture. You have to build a relationship with the God the Scripture testifies of. That's really the thing. That's the only way you have the capacity to recognize error. Right. Because Satan's not going to bring ideas that are like the difference between right and wrong. He's going to bring ideas that are hinged on the difference between right and almost right. That's it right there. And if you're not savvy enough to know what is right, almost right will get you 11 out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, we got, I hate to borrow this phrase from Dominic. We got to do better. <laughs> Gotta do better. We have to. And I guess that takes us right into the second rule, which is that we can't cede any ground to our enemy. Right. Like at all. We have to basically practice what I like to call the biblical counteroffensive strike package. And everybody's like, what is that? I mean, it sounds <laughs> dope, but what is it? It's a three phased assault plan. All right. Let's hear it. It deals with phase one, expose, phase two, oppose, and 
phase three depots. You have to shine the light on things. You have to resist and fight back and you have to tear down. Simply put, you know, Ephesians 5.11 tells us, look, don't have any fellowship with the works of darkness, but expose them. That's why we sit here and do this podcast. That's why we just went through two and a half, two and three quarters, almost three (laughs) hours of talking about some old people that aren't alive anymore. You know, Madame Blavatsky and Alice Bailey. Why? Because we're exposing what they do because those seeds they planted are actually germinating and bearing fruit. It's not just a tree. It's a forest of trees now. And we're spotting them and saying, hey, that tree is poisonous. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. Tear it down and use a tool. Somebody's like, how are you going to tear it down without touching it? Use a tool. (laughs) The tool is scripture. Right. You know, oppose these agendas. Oppose them on an individual level. If you can, oppose them on a social level, you know, a community level. And as much as possible, we stick together and do that. We can impose it collectively on a global level. Right. And then we got to tear it down. Tear it down. We literally do have to deal with any and all ways that we can getting these agendas repealed as much as we can. But it starts personally. It starts in in our own life. Then you move out. Mm -hmm. You know, you expand out from that into your, your current sphere, your friends, your, your community, your city, your state. That's how you work your way out. And then ultimately your nation. That's the only way this happens. If we don't do it, if we don't follow the Bible's plan, we fail. Right. 11 out of 10 times. 11 out of 10. It's a lot of times. Right. <laughs> so it takes us to rule number three, right? Which is? Which is pray like it's all up to God, but work like it is all up to you. That's the key. That's the key. Well, I think some of the things that we could pray about is that God gives us insight on how to interact with a culture that has embraced this evil. Because that's not easy to do. No. That, that takes a, a special level of of um, discernment or, or, and ta- grace. or tact and grace. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it, it is not easy to engage in those ideas. Uh, we sh- I think we should pray that God gives us eyes <clears throat> or it gives us eyes to see and wisdom to discern the wickedness. So not only how to interact with uh, people that have embraced the culture, but eyes to see wickedness for wickedness. Like you were saying, it's not between right and wrong. It's between right and almost right. And we need to be able to discern what is right from what's almost right. And, and, and that takes supernatural help. Right. But we also have to work. And things like this, you've got to put in a little bit of study time. you got to know what's going on. So what would you say to the person who's like, I don't even know where to start? Google Brad Pitt wears a dress. <laughs> <laughs> no. Go to our Instagram page. Yes. All right, Operation Red Pill. Instagram handles at Truthfully Armed. Go there. You, we'll, we'll post it for you. So you ain't got to go search and have it in your Google search history. So what did we say that we were going to have? Pictures of Brad Pitt. What was the other thing? I have no idea. You were about to post all sorts of links. No, there was something else. We'll go back on the re-listen and figure it out. Yeah. If if you liked what we said before that we were going to post, don't worry. We'll post that thing. We just have to go back. We just have to remember it. Yeah, we just have to remember it. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but you would tell them start with that. Yeah, like just get your foot because that's once you start to see 
then you can kind of figure out what else you want to to look at. Okay. I don't think you should. It, it, it it's a dangerous place to start with a book that's going to take you a while to get through and maybe not maybe not be able to tie anything together or whatever. But if you've listened to this podcast, we've tied stuff together. You can check out Brad Pitt for yourself and and then just go on, you know, from there. You know, see where those ideas come from and just just have fun with it, really. Maybe I mean, look up Alice Bailey's 10 points. Yeah, could do that. Could yeah, go back listen to over. our, our uh, episode 16, 17 where we go into it. Yeah. Maybe. You know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that you have to do. And just because it's study doesn't mean that it has to be boring or has to be difficult or That's arduous or anything like that. Have fun with it. I'm going to be honest. A lot of times for me, when it comes to studying, I really don't want to do it. And then I get into it. And I'm like, this is amazing. Why did I take so long to do it? Yes. And then the next time comes around and, and I'm like, don't I don't want to do it. Do it. <laughs> uh, why do we have another episode? And I get to study. I'm like, oh, I should have been doing this like five weeks ago. Yes. It's like the same thing that happened to me in school. Why did I wait so long to do this homework? <laughs> It'd been better if I did it before. Because I was like that with every single one of the characters for these Snakeheads episodes. Were you? I was like, I don't want to get into this. And as soon as I started looking, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I didn't see all this stuff before. Right, but somebody, I heard this this week, and I hope this helps someone. Even small steps are steps towards it and a goal right. and accomplishment. For sure. You know, if you can't take the big ones, take small ones. Right. And, you know, it, it will pay off if you stay consistent at that. I think so, for sure. Because we got to know, we got to know the foundation of these movements. You know, who built it? Who were the architects? Yeah. You know, when we see, like Brad Pitt, Gotta know what that's about. Gotta know that it's wicked. And nobody cares that there's snakes under their house until the snakes are in their bed. Right. We're trying to help you prevent the snakes getting in your bed. Yeah, and nobody's gonna walk through their house in complete darkness. Right? You hope not. I mean, it's not a good idea. There might be people out there doing it. It's not a really good idea. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that you need all the lights on because that, that gets expensive. Right. But I think you just need enough light to be able to knowledgeably navigate your way through your room and the same with our culture you need at least enough that you can knowledgeably navigate your way through the culture and it's important to pick the right light since we're using it as a metaphor that is true the, uh, because satan the constantly lucifer. right because he constantly talks about being the enlightenment right and you don't want luciferian light no you that, need the light of scripture yes the light of christ for sure but if you're not up to all of that and you just got one little share in you before you fall asleep, share the show. That, I like that. That's one. something you can do. Help other people out. Um, and we, you know, listen, we really appreciate that too. We do. The, those shares. It's not that we appreciate so much just being shared. Really appreciate what happens when people share. Like these organic experiences come up that replicate some of the same things you and I have personally felt. Yeah. You know, like they, we, we, there's a group in, in North Carolina that shares the show and they meet together for what I'm told and they sit around and they talk about it. That's crazy. I'm like, I can't believe somebody's talking about our show. Right. Right. You know, I think it's nuts where this show is going. Mm -hmm. Like there are people all over the globe that actually are getting into the show. And that's dope, not just because it's our show. It's dope that this message is getting out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I Like, I can't believe it. I was looking up the other day just on our listenership. Do you know where our greatest listenership is? 
Uh, I'm not sure. Where is it? Like, which state we have the most listeners in the United States? What state? A state up north. Which state up north? The one that we can't pronounce. Because <laughs> it would be against Buckeye etiquette. I don't, I don't really hold the Buckeye etiquette. So I'll say Michigan. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Michigan. No, but Ishigan is definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I was shocked to find that out. That's awesome. So shout out to our Michigan listeners. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We do. Thanks for sharing. Um, found out that we recently picked up a couple other countries. Okay. Uh, we Like Kenya and uh, I believe Thailand. Picked up some listeners there. That's cool. Which is like really dope. Yeah. I mean, wherever you are, you're listening to this. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. And one of the ways you can show your thanks back to us, share it. Right. Get your own little group of people. Send it out to a person or two, whatever it is. Uh, each one helps win one. Yeah. And we spread the word and we get it out. And we've tried to help, like with the people that do want to do the research and look up and know where to start. Like our show notes page is not a bad place to to start. Yeah. Start the research. You know, so sharing the show helps with that. Also this, interacting, you know, get on get on the Instagram page. Yeah. We're going to start putting more content up there, hopefully the, to to help uh, to help you all so that you don't have to go searching around for as much information. Right. It's a little more work for us. But if it helps, I think it's worth it. Right. That's one thing that we can do to thank you for tuning into the show is at least providing this content so you can check it out for yourself. And drop us a line. We love hearing from you. Yeah. Love knowing what's going on. Love hearing your stories about how this stuff affects you and what God's doing uh, with the information in your life helps helps us continue to press forward. It absolutely does. So if you're interested in the show notes, if you're on desktop, go to truthfullyarmed.com and go to the podcast, uh, drop-down menu, podcast, and then show notes. But if you're on a mobile device, which most people are, it's real easy. There is a show notes and additional resources link in the description of the show. It takes you right to the page that has all the notes for this show. So good luck with that. I hope it helps. But I think the last thing that you could do is you just, you got to remind yourself because we're constantly confronted with counter biblical ideas. You have to remind yourself of what scripture tells us. And it's, we're never alone. We're not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us. And we have a community of believers all over the country and all over the world. Cause we've got listeners all over the world. Right. And a loving God who intervenes on our behalf. Cause the cool thing is one day that we won't have to worry about being led astray by the ideas that are in vogue. You know, we won't have to be concerned about the very bedrock of our world being infiltrated by the occult. Now, one day we will be free to indulge in society because it won't be the carnal culture of man, but it'll be the kingdom culture of the most high. But until then, we are deployed on this dystopian rock where we fight deceptive agendas and occult powers within the satanic elite as we march forward, crushing snakeheads.